right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain, part of the Perry Veritas Network podcast where we work to destigmatize issues related around mental health and mental illness by talking about them in the world's most normal, natural way. Uh, what do you think about that? How does that flow feel? I don't know. Last episode, I was kind of kind of thinking about how to say that in a better way, so I thought I'd give it a shot that way that time. And does feel better, but I kind of want it to be a bit catchier, something catchy, like a like a seven-word phrase or a, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, something, um, something more catchy. But anyway, so yeah, welcome to Sunshine and Brain. This is another special episode with Andre. Uh, a couple episodes ago, he and I had taken part in a three-part conversation about race and the whole experience of racism in America probably more specifically about whiteness, even more specifically about my whiteness, sort of what to do about it and how to get rid of it and how to, you know, do our part to make the world a better place. And part of that conversation, he and I talked about sort of continuing this project by tackling other topics, you know, sort of once once we had kind of exhausted our conversation about race, though that topic never ends, of course, you know, what to talk about next. And I had sort of talked with him a little bit about maybe talking about manhood next and the whole institution of manhood and manhood is pretty significant, you know, root um, for a lot of the challenges that obviously our world faces and, you know, perhaps what to do and how to approach manhood, you know, sort of rethink about it. And we were kind of on the fence as whether or not to do that next. And then Andre came at me and said, why don't we do religion next? So, you know, it's another kind of small topic, you know, <laughs> it would take us a couple episodes to get through that one. And obviously, as a former rabbi, that topic is something that I, I know I can dig into for a while. And so I was like, yeah, 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 we can get to manhood later. We can get to manhood later. Uh, let's do religion first. So this is part one of a multi-part. I don't know how many parts it's going to be, but a multi-part conversation between me and Andre um, about religion. Um you know, the ways in which religion has helped the world uh, over the years of human history, and then obviously the ways in which religion has harmed the world, you know, throughout human history, and what to do it. And as part of the conversation, as a kind of thought experiment, we're reimagining what uh, a religion that would actually be good for the world might look like and how it would function. And uh, this first part of the conversation, I think, is pretty interesting. You know, we kind of tackle this as almost like a brainstorm thing. So conversation kind of goes here and goes there a little bit. But uh, I think it's, uh, first of all, you know, all these opportunities for me to talk to good friends, especially Andre, is is pretty cool. You know, I, I, I really enjoy doing it. And so, you know, these topics that we cover, it's always about the topics, but it's also always about, you know, sort of a celebration of friendship, you know, and the kind of conversations that he and I have had throughout the years that we've known each other, which is uh, a pretty a pretty long time at this point. You know, the, the other piece is, I think it's a pretty good conversation, pretty good starter conversation about religion overall, about our backgrounds, overall the parts of religion that sort of we find ourselves, you know, congregating towards, and then those parts of religions that we find ourselves, you know, sort of pushing back against and um, and then start to imagine what a religion might look like if it was actually going to function well. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's uh, it's a good one. So not the normal kind of sunshine and brain thing. Um, this is a sort of special 
kind of continuation of these conversations that Andre are ha- Andre and I are having. We finally came up with a, with a name for it, as you can tell by the title of the show, Andre and Josh Save the World. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll put them sort of all together and name them all that. But yeah, Andre and Josh Save the World, uh, Religion Part 1. This is that episode. Uh, before we dive into it, a couple of quick things. First is, uh, actually, this is the full conversation of this. Between me and Andre, you can uh, find snippets of the congreg- of the conversation on Andre's podcast, uh, Ideas by Andre. It kind of breaks it down. So, you know, if you want to kind of get to the the main meat of our conversation about religion and uh, and skip through all of our kind of friendship banter and things like that, you know, that's actually a really nice way to listen to the conversation because you'll hear sort of the main uh, religious points, the main points we make about religion there. So uh, definitely feel free to go ahead and check it out there. Ideas by Andre. He breaks it down into a multi-part sort of 20, 30, 11, you know, 13 minute episodes. And I think that's a really nice way to interact with this conversation. So yeah, please feel free to go ahead and check it out there. And, And this is the feed where we're sharing the the conversation in full, all the different uh, components of how we sort of put it together and the full flow of it and all that good stuff. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I, I want to make check-in a part of um, what we do here. And so take a little bit of an opportunity to check in. Honestly, there's not that much different from last time. The biggest difference is I uh, got my dental surgery <laughs> today. <laughs> I mentioned last episode about I had this uh, cavity and I had to remove remove the tooth and put in a stud and, you know, sort of a step one towards uh, replacing my tooth and fixing that cavity there. So today, this morning was the dental surgery itself. It was completely terrifying. Um, I have never been put under for surgery before. In fact, I've never had surgery before. (laughs) I mean, I've had stitches, you know, but uh, knock on wood, somehow I've managed to make it 45 years without breaking a bone. Um, Of course, tomorrow I'm going to like take a fall and break all of them now that I said that. But, uh, but yeah, I haven't broken a bone, had stitches a couple times, and that's pretty much about it. And so I've never been put under for any reason whatsoever. Uh, so I've never done that before. Holy cow, that is like a terrifying, terrifying idea. So, you know, thank God a really, really good friend um, took care of me, brought me to the dentist and uh, was there and to drive me home afterwards and, you know, we managed to get lunch and stuff and eat and everything else. So really, really grateful uh, for that friendship, but wanted to um, talk a little bit about the experience of like going in there because it was such like an exercise of, you know, anxiety, you know, facing it and thinking about it and dealing with it and all that stuff. And I kind of put off, I mean, I, I knew I was going to have to take care of this at some point. I knew it was probably going to be, some sort of surgery situation. Um, and I kind of put two and two together and figured that I would probably choose to be put under if it all, all possible, just because like the dentist is terrifying for, I think, you know, many, many people. It's just a, a very vulnerable thing to have a person reaching into your mouth and dealing with your teeth. And just generally speaking, that that is a, a, a really challenging thing for a lot of people. When I was a kid, I had my adult teeth coming in and my baby teeth, my kid teeth were not falling out fast enough for my adult teeth to come in. And so my dentist was sure, rightly so, uh, worried that my adult teeth were going to come in all sorts of funky. And then I'd have to, you know, have, you know, thousands of dollars of braces and things like that in order to fix it. And so what he advised that we do 
is remove my baby teeth in order to make room for the adult teeth. Now, this is like, this is like when I was like six. So we're talking about like 1981, 82, something like that. So this is dentistry circa 1981, 82. Um, so the choice made was to remove 14 of my teeth in a two week period. Like I'm talking like one sitting seven teeth, a week later, another sitting seven more teeth. And I did not get put under for this. And I have a distinct memory of the doc of the MD having like a foot on the chair with his like hand pressing, one hand pressing down on my forehead and the other hand like reaching into my mouth with like a pair of pliers basically in order to get the leverage to pull out a tooth that just didn't want to come. Oh boy. So uh, yeah, it's funny. I never kind of like equated that with uh, feeling anxious about going to the dentist. <laughs> it's just kind of a funny story. Well, simultaneously, I felt anxious about going to the dentist. And now it's like all of a sudden, like I really, really had to go to the dentist. And then it was like, I'm so anxious to go to the dentist. So my therapist was like, well, did anything ever happen like when you were younger that might make you like might might make you anxious? And uh, I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Something did. Uh, so that's what it, that's what it was. So, like, they were like, well, we could just give you nitrous and then perform the surgery. And I was like, I would rather die. And so that was, like, pretty much the choice you make. Because, like, the you know, I go in there and I wake up this morning and, like, I wake up this morning and I, like, get dressed to go in there. And at one point I, like, have this one shirt on. And then I look at myself and I'm like, is this, is this really the shirt I want to die, die in? So... I took it off, changed it to a different shirt. And then, you know, my friend came, which was great. And we went to the dentist and, you know, to the oral surgeon. And this one dude takes me to this room and, like, pulls me right in and starts plugging me into all these instruments where it's like, well, I've never been to the dentist before where they're, like, keeping track of my heart rate. That's, like, a terrifying concept. And I'm, like, laying on this super uncomfortable chair that is definitely not built for anyone my size, staring up at the ceiling and just, like, imagining the movie scene where it's, like, there's that's the that's the camera angle. You know what I mean? Where it's, like, the view of the fluorescent lights above. <laughs> like, and uh, so the guy gets me, like, plugged in, like, puts my finger on the heart monitor, probably for blood oxygen level, too, or whatever, and then puts a little couple sticky things on the... Uh, like just below my collarbone, maybe. Honestly, I don't remember at this point. And then the um, surgeon came in and he just, you know, tied off my arm and started pre prepping my vein there. And he was like, are you ready? And I was like, yeah, you're going to feel a little pinch. And same vein where I give blood from. So I just kind of did, did what I do when I give blood and uh, poked me there. Which, by the way, I, I like thought... Like, I just thought, like, before I got tattoos, I thought to myself, if I ever get tattoos, that's probably, like, the way to get rid of your needle phobia. If you have, like, even a bit of a needle phobia, like, just get a bunch of tattoos and then you won't have a needle phobia. Because a tattoo is a piece of art that's made by, like, a bunch of needles that's essentially giving you, like, hundreds upon hundreds of shots a second. <laughs> like, and so, you know, I thought that, like, that would get rid of it. And it does not. It doesn't. It, not for me, at least. Yeah, it's still, I still get nervous. So anyway, the dude stuck a, an IV in my arm and was like, you're going to, you know, you're just going to fall asleep now. <laughs> and I was like, is this when it happens? He was like, yeah. 
And I was like, oh, I think it's starting to work. And then next thing I know, I woke up and the surgery was done. Well, like not quite done, almost done. They were doing something in my mouth. I don't know what it was, but I was so like out of it and just pleased by whatever the experience was that I was sort of like, it's fine. And then I, you know, kind of slowly came to, I wasn't loopy in the way that you find like some of those videos on YouTube of like <clears throat> the high kids in beds, like, you know, just being hilarious. So that I kind of like thought maybe that might be what happened to me, but it didn't. I was just kind of like super groggy and super dizzy <laughs> and super hungry because I didn't do my surgery until 1040 and like, you know, I wasn't supposed to eat from midnight the night before. And so I, you know, obviously didn't. And I had my girls, so I get them ready, then get them from the moms and then get back home to then head over to the dentist or whatever. So like I had already been up for a few hours. So I was just like fucking starving, man. So yeah, by the time we were done with there, I was like groggy, foggy and ready to eat. And so now it's like, it doesn't hurt. It's like a little tender. I'm sort of like minding all the things I have to do to take care of it. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. It's it, you know, whenever I've had to like deal with an anxious moment like that, my default practice is to kind of disassociate myself from that moment. So I kind of think of it like there are times even where it's like, you know, like um, log rolls where you got like a person standing on a log and they're like, kind of like moving their feet back and forth in the log and then rolling the log underneath them. It's like floating on the water and they're moving their feet back and forth and rolling the log underneath them on the water. You know, these like little log roll competitions or whatever. So, you know, it's like the person who's like moving their foot and it's like the thing underneath the foot that's moving. The person themselves are not moving. It's the thing underneath the foot that's moving. So there are times when I have to do an anxious thing where it's like, I almost feel like the entire earth is a log and I'm walking over it, but I'm standing still and the earth is moving beneath my feet. Um, that's like a way that I sometimes feel when I'm moving towards an anxious thing. So like, for example, when I was in rabbinical school, I um, had an opportunity to join the Navy to train as a chaplain. Uh, it's a really cool uh story there and happy to tell it one day but uh suffice it to say for now um it was an awesome experience and part of the training that we got to do was uh, at the end of the program we actually got to do an ascension descension from a hovering helicopter so it's like a helicopter hovering a couple feet off the ground a couple hundred feet off the ground and they lower like this little tube thingy through whatever and you kind of stick your arms through and your head through and you clasp your hands and then just hoist it up and you get hoisted up into the air underneath a hovering helicopter, like a couple hundred feet. They kind of, you know, toss a donut in your mouth or whatever. That's what they did. And then they lower you down to the ground. And you've done a thing now that's pretty cool. And it's pretty scary. You know, there's like this aircraft that's hovering above you as you walk underneath it. And when you walk underneath the helicopter, you're like suddenly hit with this wash of hurricane force winds, basically. And then you get hoisted up. And, you know, really fun, but also really scary. Uh, and so, you know, moving towards that for me, knowing that it was coming and then there it was and there's the hovering helicopter. I know I have to do this and I don't want to be scared. I don't want anyone to think that I look scared. I don't want to hesitate. I just want to move towards it and do it. And 
you know, for me, what I've always been able to do is just sort of disassociate myself from myself enough that I can, um, I can do it. You know, I just like, I go, but it feels like the earth is moving beneath my feet when I do it. Um, and you know, while that sort of protection mechanism is actually really good in situations like that, where you, you do just have to move towards a thing and then just do it. It's also not good because, you know, generally speaking, it's not healthy to not deal with fears. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't want to bury something so deep that it comes up in other places and other ways that are, you know, not, not good for you. So to also, what does it mean to kind of be in a space and be anxious about it? So yeah, that was like, you know, something to kind of think about, you know, I, I didn't with this tooth thing, to be honest, I didn't really give myself the space to like worry about it so much. Like I really just compartmentalized it. And then this morning I just moved towards it. But, you know, now in the aftermath, I do think it's probably important for me to take some time to like look into it and see where the, see where the, um, you know, sort of see, see where the anxiety is, you know, really try to be okay with the fact that it, it's okay to, you know, be upset that like I have a cavity and I have to deal with this thing. You know what I mean? Like give myself the space to do that. So I don't know. I don't know. Something interesting I'm kind of thinking about right now and sort of working through in therapy and stuff like that. So among, among many things, among many things. Anyway, so that's a check-in for today. Everything else is, you know, going basically, as I said last time, swimming continues, finding my way towards motivation and work continues, continuing to help my daughters find their way towards, you know, continuing to not just survive the pandemic, but to live it. Uh, that whole process continues. Uh, school is started for one, for the other, it starts, you know, next week. All that stuff is um, certainly interesting and, um, you know, fun little challenges and celebrations and wonderful things too at the same time. So, you know, so that stuff is pretty great too, but, uh, but yeah, so that's what's going on for me right now. I hope everyone is, uh, doing well as well. Hope everyone is, you know, continuing to do the things you need to do to be healthy and happy. You know, I hope we're, you know, at least beginning to get a sense that at some point, you know, there's going to be the light, uh, a good strong light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, we're going to find our way out of this mess and certainly into others, but uh, hopefully find our way out of the messes that we're in right now. In any case, uh, like as always, uh, like, subscribe, share this podcast with as many people as possible. Hope you enjoy this episode. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and roll the tape. Roll it. I'm pressing record right the fuck now. <laughs> Before. Right the fuck now before they before they before they stop us again. Yes, we are twenty one minutes. Department in Washington. I'm telling you, our conversations. <laughs> we are twenty one minutes behind our normal. Uh, the, Internet doesn't work. Uh, Bluetooth doesn't work. <laughs> Brand new computer doesn't work. <laughs> uh, we are now translating this to smoke signals, and I'm sending over the horizon. Uh, uh, that seems to be working so far. Yeah, that's what's happening. Um, really, it's just zeros and ones coming across my ears right now. And I'm going to have to <laughs> translate it to your voice somehow. 
figure out how to figure out how to do that. You'll note, by the way, I changed the uh, I changed the title of the show, and and I figured that might help. And I think it's part of the reason why we're able to do this right now. Instead of uh, Andre and Josh save the world, the show is now called Andre and Josh not really saving the world. So don't worry, nothing to see here. <laughs> <laughs> that explains it. That explains. Yeah, it. I think I think that was the trick. All be good now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the thing nothing to do. Nothing to see here. Move along. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. By the way, my mom says hi. Well, hello there, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she no see and talk. All right, she texted me uh, just before we started recording, or or just as we were like at our scheduled time to start recording. So I had a little extra time to text her back. So it's her fault. Doing, I think it might be. I think it might be. You know, she is the co-president for the New York City chapter for League of Women Voters. Oh, awesome! Right, that's got to be keeping her busy. I mean, yeah, especially now. (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm pretty, not that I've heard anything, but I'm pretty sure they're trying to repeal the uh, <laughs> women's election, <right> to- <laughs> women's right to vote. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's on the list of things to get rid of. I mean, they're straight up trying to delay the election at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's about to get pretty. <laughs> they're like election for what? <laughs> what? I'm already in office. I don't see a reason to have another election. It's better to me. It's like literally yeah. anyone. Literally anyone. Yeah. Literally anyone. My dog, your dog, you know, <laughs> me. <laughs> even more ridiculous. He <laughs> <laughs> said even more ridiculous than the dog. We'll all be eating fresh pet forever. Like, I did. <laughs> it's like, no, right. Gambit. We're trying to get people to eat less meat. <laughs> like, why? Oh, God. If my dog was in charge, Basically, all men could fuck off. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's her attitude. Except for me, I'm the only one, mm-hmm. the only male for her. Every other man could fuck off. You you've proven so. yourself through battle, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm, I think she might actually be a better president than me. You know what I mean? Like just that policy alone. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's not it's not a bad start. Like right, <laughs> it's a bit hard line. It's a bit hard line. We might have to move her a little bit to the middle, like. <laughs> Maybe not all men, maybe like 80% of them or something. Yeah, we don't even have a single female voice represented to, you know, point out that viewpoint so you know it's legitimate. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, if if two men who aren't looking for power themselves come to the conclusion of, yeah, it's probably time. (laughs) (laughs) You you guys have uh, had long enough to try this and it's not. Yeah, and I don't mean me or you. I mean, like, not us, specifically. <laughs> oh, man. So what are we here to do again? What is this What is this shit all about? Uh, well, during the whole uh, conversations about race and whatnot, uh, way after the fact, we somehow realized we neglected to really bring up religion. Yeah. Uh, or specifically religion as a tool to, like, help fix things. Yeah. Because I think that the normal... Uh, way of looking at religion and justifiably so is that religion's like a major part of the problem but yeah. uh, it doesn't have to be just like a lot of things that are a part of the problem doesn't really have to be part of the problem yeah, it, sometimes it it's not to fix it <laughs> yeah sometimes it's not right right I mean, when we think about like who uh, just think about african-american community alone right who are the the two biggest names in uh 
you know, sort of uh, 60s, especially civil rights work that we have out there. It's Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. I mean, these are two religious leaders. Exactly. So, yeah, extremely know, religious. <laughs> extremely religious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah religion absolutely. gets shit done <laughs> for good or for ill. It for, gets yeah. things done. Yeah. So, I like the, yeah. I mean, generally speaking, I love the idea of you and me just kind of you know, one institution at a time kind of taking them down. You know, um, yeah. I, I, I love that idea, especially since, you know, we've sort of always talked about this stuff. And also we don't really, neither of us have sort of the mindset, except for me before, you know, when I was stuck in my whiteness without knowing it. Um, but, uh, um, you know, we don't really have the mindset of feeling the need to um, preserve a lot of these institutions that we know, you know, while they've done some good have also pretty much fucked everything up as well um, because we both understand that they haven't always been, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, Anything that we created can and should be destroyed at some point. Of course. And it, it should just be, be it sh there should be a cycle. Like, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. but put a number of days or years or something on it. Like every 10 years we, you know, tear it all down and come up with something better because it's always going to be imperfect. It's the willingness to do that. That's such a problem so much of the time. And it goes beyond religion. You yes. know, I mean, you and I have talked a little bit about, I mean, I'm going to just speak for myself here, like my feeling about the boomer generation and, and what they're doing to this country and probably the entire world politically and everything else. You know, I mean, this is a generation that has enormous numbers, greater numbers in a lot of ways than every other generation because of what was going on in history when, when they were born. And they're out of touch with what the world needs. I mean, they're completely out of touch with what the world needs. The, right. the fact that we're sitting here right now and our two choices for president are two fucking white men in their 70s who are both, you know, um, people who have been accused of sexual assault um, is a problem. You know, yeah. but, you know, Donald Trump is a racist. Um, Joe Biden wrote the crime bill, for fuck's sake, from the 90s. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, what are we doing? Why are we putting these two guys in power? They're not the ones with the answers. Yeah, this is um, the epitome of not change anything policy. Yeah. Yeah, but we're stuck with them because they've got the numbers. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, we're always going to be and looking. They only have them. the numbers really because they know how to play the game because, you know, their people kind of created the game. So, of course, they know how to play the game. So anyone who wants to do any real change, you know, you're not really part of the institution, most of those people. So no matter how many people you have backing you, you can't change the system because you're always kind of going to be outside of the system. So you'd I have mean, to overturn the system completely and come up with something different. This generation, the boomer generation is the, is the hippie generation. They're the ones that, you know, ushered in all of the, the civil change that happened in the late 60s and early 70s. And I'm really thankful for the work that they did because it established a foundation for the work that we're doing now. You know, there, there's no um, fighting for someone like George Floyd if we're still living in a fucking apartheid state. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, like, that would be the least of our worries, you know. Um, and they fought that fight and they won that fight. And I'm really grateful that they did that. Um, cool. But, you know, their whole or their attitudes now are really holding us back, I think, in terms of like, you know, what kind of change needs to be happen happening? They're so close-minded on these different ideas that young people are coming up with, and they're not going to stop the young people from bringing forward these ideas at yeah, all. Because, nor should they. 
Nor should they, they but they, yeah, they, they are going to hand the box them out and ignore them and say, "Oh, you're you're just ignorant. You're just young. You, you'll learn better when you get older." Yeah. And the thing is, is like we may there's generations of people who may not get, get much older because of the policies of the previous generations. Now, it's yeah. like so you can't just sit back and just be like, "Oh, okay, you know." We'll, we'll fall in line with the, you know, just letting the climate continually change. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is life and death. This is life and death. These are things that can either eradicate the species or change the species forever. Uh, and something needs to be done. Like we can't just stick our heads in the sand over this. Stuff. Drastic, drastic change. And the young people have ideas for how to do it. Like, I'm not even saying our generation, you could just skip our generation, you know, don't, don't empower, like, let Obama be the only Gen X president that ever was, I'd be fine with that. Go straight to the millennials, give them the power, they've got the ideas, and let them work. You and, know and I, I hate mean? to like, say it, but what they want to do is, like, way less radical than the stuff you and I talk about. <laughs> yeah. I'm not to say off camera, but off microphone, like, you know, yeah. like, oh. I'd, I'd burn the whole fucking thing down. It's like, <laughs> like yeah. really, like, no, nothing erase history and completely fucking start over because this is like ridiculous at this point. Like I have no patience anymore. <laughs> I know. Like, no, none, none of these kids are talking about that. They're like, you know, maybe vote some new guys in yeah. who maybe will <laughs> listen and change things. I'm like, these, I'm like, like, these, I'm like, these pricks aren't going to fucking listen. Just <laughs> get them out of here. Get them out of here. Get them out of here. Government. Right, but we need a place to government put, put those idiots in charge. No more government. Bye. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we need a. Surely there must be a place in the world where they just love white men. You know what I mean? Like, there's got to be like somewhere <laughs> that everywhere. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, everywhere, everywhere, certainly. But I mean, like yeah. a place where they really, really like irrationally love white men, uh-huh. and and then we should just send them all there. <laughs> I'll get out of it. Mars as a destination for that. Mars <laughs> might work better. After they're I, this planet, they're just going to move on to the next. <laughs> Did I tell you, by the way, I booked a tattoo time. Um, I went and had a consult with my uh, tattoo artist earlier this week, and I booked a time to go get the Black Lives Matter tattoo on my on my wrist and another tattoo I'm kind of thinking about right now. But I'm hoping to be able to use that as like, um, you know, as like a sticker, as like a tag. You know what I mean? So that when, when all the white men do get sent to Mars, you know what I mean? I could just like hold it up and be like, I'm not, I'm not a part of this group. <laughs> Let me stay. Let me stay. <laughs> I'm going to do it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. That's my plan, at least. That's my plan. But um, anyway, no, the, the point is, is that like, I don't think it's at all ridiculous to think that four years from now, we're going to be looking at two white men in their 80s for president. And fucking eight years from now. Out, but you're probably 100% right. <laughs> I'm like, this is this is the thing. I've mentioned it so many times. That I, and I can't remember if I mentioned it to you, but just in general conversations that for most of history, the idea is the people in power are just playing this game and they're pretending to give a fuck about everybody else, right? Because right. that's how you stay in power. At least part of it. Like, yeah, hey, we're going to abuse you. We're going to steal from you and right. et cetera, et cetera. And stay in power. But we're going to pretend that we actually care and we're looking out for your interests. So you have to get something out of the deal. And like now, I feel like for the first time, at least the first time in a long time, they've given up the pretense that they're doing anything for anybody. (laughs) That that the average citizen is getting anything out of this exchange of power. Like the the government and the corporations now have over us. They're just like, no, you can't have anything. Fuck you. 
No, you're right. How long do you think that's going to last? Like, I get about 33% of the population is just a bunch of uh, government-worshipping idiots or really Mm -hmm. white racist-worshipping idiots, and, like, they're Mm -hmm. not really thinking it through. But that can't last forever, (laughs) like... Eventually, you're going to get hungry. <laughs> well, yeah, and all these other things. It's like crazy. It's it's really crazy. Like it can't you know, go on. You have to at least maintain the illusion. You're 100 percent right. And the reason why you can't go on like this is because they've actually chosen a different fucking path towards control here. Where yeah. instead of looking at the people and saying, "We are your government. We're taking care of you. That's our job," what they're doing is they're looking at their constituents and they're saying. I'm protecting you from those fuckers and those fuckers want you to die because they're evil or they're idiotic or they're racist or they're stupid or whatever, whatever reason, you know, like those are the things and I'm here protecting you from them. So instead of like motivating their followers through, you know, compassionate leadership, what they're doing instead is motivating their followers through the gateway of fear of others. Yep. Yeah. Which is what religion does so often, by the way, bringing it to well, religion. Yeah. So, you know, what I was saying was I, I personally like just really love the idea of me and you going after in, like institution after institution and just really diving in deep in terms of the history of those institutions, really thinking about how they sort of function best and then dismantling, you know, uh, theologically and philosophically kind of how they function and why they function and then trying to at least idea wise put out ideas in terms of how to reestablish something in its place if if, if even necessary and we kind of did that with racism although racism is a different sort of institution as religion mm-hmm. it's a, it's an institution in and of itself but it's also a tool and so it's like how do you fucking define it even yeah, but it is yeah. a but similarly it is a thought based institution more than anything yeah. else yeah yeah absolutely absolutely which is going to be so difficult to erase dismantle Yeah, Yeah, but in a lot of ways, racism is just whiteness. Like, yeah, there's racism around the world for sure. Like, you know, I mean, uh, uh, just around the world, you know, (laughs) like everywhere there's there's hatred, you know, along different kind of divides and everything else. But I mean, like erasing whiteness in general, at least in America, I think, is, is what it would take to erase racism. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, uh, but yeah, so, but, but the idea being to attack different institutions next, you know, and I had the idea of like wanting to go at manhood and I'm still going to try to convince you to do that one of these days. I'm going to stick to it. Stick to it. Admits, that's the, that's the way. Um, that's the way. Just wear them down. <laughs> giving it the old college try, you know, but, but then you came back at me and said, why don't we go out religion first? And yeah, I was yeah. like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> You know. Yeah, I, I feel like it's something that could be so positively used. Like, so first you have to look at like what should be the purpose of a religion, right? Yeah. And like, obviously, like, well, maybe not obviously, but uh, it should be something to create unity and push people forward, essentially, yeah. and their survival forward like, as a species. Yeah. As yeah. Something, something that's always going to make you evolve and strive and work together and improve. Um, rather than being something slimmer or racism, which is a, just, just divides at this point. I mean, obviously yeah. the aspect of control and, you know, the capitalism part of it, where they're just like pushing money up to the, the leaders and so on and so forth and trying to uh, divide with the world's resources. But, uh, that, that, that's more like religion's failings. What it could do is, uh, uh, the best examples are when it's looked at as a mythology, 
when you kind of disconnect from it and say, okay, these people from long ago used to believe thusly. Right. But if you can do that in a more modern sense and just say, okay, we're starting fresh. This is an idea. We're not saying it's the literal truth, but these are the stories of our people. And there's something in here for you to take and project into the future. These right. are our like code of ethics, the way we look at things and solve problems and work together. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. I mean, look at re- religion. The idea of a separation between church and state is like a really new idea. Like back right. in the day and throughout most of history, religion and state were one and the same. And so it's it's like anything else. I mean, when you look throughout history, there are always good actors in government. You know, you just you do find those people like all the time who maybe are motivated by not great things, but still are doing their best to like, you know, kind of help the people. And that's how, you know, oftentimes nations and empires like sort of come to be because of good actors and leadership positions. Same thing with religion. You've got good actors and good intentions, but then you have so many bad results um, that come out of it. And, um, you know, so many sort of awful things. So it's like, well, how do we sort of balance those two things? I have a question for you. I, you know, thinking about this conversation in the sort of podcast format, it probably makes sense for us to back up just a little bit here. And, um, and you know, each of us maybe just give a minute to give a little bit of our religious backstory. Does that make sense to like, to kind of like yeah. each of us take just like a couple of minutes to like, well, what's your religious history? Like, where, where's your faith? How did you grow up? How do you identify now, you know, and what's your knowledge base? And then take the conversation from there. Does that make sense to do it that way? That makes 100% sense to me. All right, let's start. You want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. All right. Um, mine is bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I grew up in a house where uh, my mother and grandmother were technically Catholic. And uh, so what I mean by that is that they believe a lot in Catholic ritual, uh, almost to the point of like, magical thinking right so you have to go through you know all the rites and rituals and all that stuff and then after that they, they, they kind of don't care like <laughs> yeah <laughs> baptism confirmation etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's not so much like uh, what, what you do or what you believe but you better get your baby baptized like <laughs> and that kind of right. thing. so it's right. almost like a almost like a magic system like when i look at it and uh, from sort of like if uh if catholicism um if someone who was practicing voodoo converted to catholicism yeah, almost. I kind of look at that. Uh, yeah. And in the house, we had like books upon books upon books. And like right next to the Bible, there was literally a book on satanic witchcraft. Yeah. But like pro, <laughs> not like a work against it. And there was all kinds of book on like Wiccanism and Druidism and uh, like magical tomes and Voodoo and all these other things. Uh, and it was all just kind of like given equal space and equal time. Yeah, so that was kind of like my my background to that. It's just like all right there. I um, mean, did your ancestors practice voodoo in the islands? Um, they practiced. Uh, my particular ancestors practiced something called obia. Okay. Uh, so a lot of people, it's kind of hard to like break down, uh, but <laughs> the broad strokes of it, it's very similar to uh, voodoo. But a lot of people look at it obia as almost the white magic to voodoo is black magic. That's not okay. quite, quite justified, but Obia <laughs> is mostly focused on like uh, wisdom and healing and things like that. There's right. not curses and things like that. And uh, <laughs> right. Whereas like, voodoo is like infamous for like, you know, 
getting some payback. <laughs> it's not the whole thing to voodoo. That's why I hate like making these generalizations, but it's like talking about either one of those is like such a whole series of podcasts unto themselves. Oh yeah. 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 So. We could go there by the way. I'm, I'm definitely, my interest has already peaked. <laughs> well, my, my, my thing is like, um, okay. I'm not a practitioner of, uh, any one thing. I kind of have like a, a, my system's like an amalgam. I, yeah. I've been obsessed with finding two things. Uh, what's the common themes between all mythologies, faiths, and religions? And what are the things that might be particularly unique to any given mythology, faith, or religion? Those are the like two things that interest me. Um, yeah. Because then if I could find, one, the commonalities, and I think there's, when there's a commonality that's universal or near universal, then there's kind of like something there. <laughs> there's like a universal truth there. Doesn't right. mean an actual physical event happened, but maybe, but there's something important in the human story there that needs to be examined. It's like, so right. this one repeating pattern is like an important pattern. We need to look at it. Uh, and then also if something's unique, that's kind of interesting too. You wouldn't look at the culture and why that was a change. Uh, so example of something unique uh, and I don't know what it means, but it's just interesting. Um, most cultures, you have like some version of father sky, mother earth, some version of that. Right, right. Um, but uh, the empire or the pharaonic Egypt, they didn't have that. It was turned around. It was uh, mother sky and father earth, woman on top. Huh. So when you look at that, it's like, all right, that's maybe a small change, but it's a major change. And uh, the culture of like Pharaonic Egypt is like one of the unique <laughs> cultures of all time, right? There's yeah. really nothing like ancient Egypt. There's nothing like it. Yeah. And so you see they have these like simple things that are just like slightly tweaked or reversed or whatever. It just like opens up a lot of questions. Right. Right. And then like, you know, you ask yourself like, why does every faith seem to have something about a worldwide flood? Why does everything have something about uh, a magical serpent? You know, weird things like that. Right. Those are the, like, kind of interesting thing. Yeah. So in other words, what you do is you sort of, um, you know, throughout the years, f discovered certain things, different things that different folks might have believed, written about, thought yeah. about, engaged with, and sort of put together like an amalgam of faith that's like Andre Martinism. You know what I mean? Where it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I pull out what I can actually test and use, so to speak, and what's effective. Right. Are there any like faiths? Like what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I'm kind of a firm believer that each person has to have some kind of personal spiritual journey. And then almost you're responsible for almost writing your own great work. Yeah. 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 I'm like, there might be one universal goal to religion, but there's definitely endless amounts of paths to get to that goal. And more than one truth as well. And more than one truth. Yeah. 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 I'm definitely with you on that. Are there any faiths in particular that you've pulled a lot from? I mean, like I know obviously from our conversations throughout the years, there were, there were a number of years where you took a pretty, I mean, you already talked about Egypt. Um, you took a pretty deep dive into Gnosticism, which is an, yes. a very particular Egyptian form of Christianity. Um, so I know that that is one that sort of pulls you from one. If you want, want to talk about that for a minute, and maybe there's some other ones that have been, are significant as well. Yeah. Gnosticism, uh, I was drawn to that because some of the language of it sort of mirrored the language of things that would happen in my meditations and like out of body experiences. Right. Um, 
even just the, the idea of uh, some kind of darkness as a positive force is sort of like unique in anything related to Judeo-Christian. Right. Just on a basic level. And the idea of the world as an illusion, which isn't unique to Gnosticism, but uh, their approach to it w- was kind of like similar to my way of thinking. So, um, yeah. So, so I, sort of a combination of that, uh, a lot of Zen-type meditation <laughs> and then some uh, sorcery that will, uh, you know, allow me to quote unquote, leave my, leave my body or give me a sensation of being out of my body. Yeah. Yeah. So your, your personal faith then is a combination of, um, kind of internal and also external in terms of writings and things that you've collected, but also internal in terms of things you've absorbed collection of writings and wisdoms and books, and then a meditative practice and, a sort of thought-based practice that all come together to form an ever-evolving theology and basic belief about the world, and then an ever-evolving practice in terms of what you do daily and weekly to maintain your connection to your faith. Yeah, that's like a good description. A good Cliff's Nose version, yeah. I mean, essentially, like if if there's a belief system, like you said, uh, talked about kind of like the actions of it, like the meditation and the practice and so forth. But I'd say yeah. essentially, like, you know, the world as we know it is an illusion. Yeah. Uh, there's more to us than there initially appears. Yeah. And in an uh, invisible but tangible way, all things are one. Okay. And then how do you get at that and do something about it? <laughs> all right. Perfect. Is there anything else you want to add there to give a uh, good solid background in terms of where your faith is at? No, that's about it. anything else is going to feel like a labyrinth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously we're just kind of revealing the tip of the iceberg in order to give sure. a hint in terms of what lies beneath. Right. But still just Absolutely. the tip of the iceberg. All right. So I guess it's my turn. <laughs> you are on uh, the job. Fuck. All right. I, have, I, I try to keep you going to avoid this, but uh, I guess you're right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I'm Jewish, uh, obviously. Um, but I do come from different faith, cultural backgrounds. My father was, Born and raised Methodist, but um, at a you know at a young age, his family sort of left the church. So if anything, my dad was really encouraged to be agnostic, which is pretty typical um, uh, Irish hillbilly lineage. Family came over to America from 1715 um, in order to sort of escape the tyranny of the Catholic Church and the tyranny of just church in general. You know, they're, they're Protestants. They, they practice, they're called hillbillies. That name came from them, that, that name originated in Ireland. And they were called hillbillies because they lived in the hills and they supported King William. Um, but King William didn't love them, you know. Um, they're Irish. I mean, back in the early days of definition of what a white person was, the Irish were the farthest from it. <laughs> like, like it's definitely. Bizarre. It's like, bizarre, right? Because now they're in the epitome of it. I know, I know. Just their faces are like the perfect representation of what 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 white might look like. But you know, neither of my lineages were in the original definition of white, and I think the right. original white people were just as disgusted by the idea of having Irish people in the club yeah, as they yeah, were yeah. by having Jewish people in the club. You know, just as disgusted. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So they their whole thing was running away from authority. And, um, and settling as far away as they possibly could from authority. Um, and so that's what they did, you know, and they, they put themselves in the hillside in uh, Ireland. They put themselves in the hillsides around America, exactly where anyone of authority would like make it to them. And they've kept themselves in those communities. And so 
it's important to note that a big part of my personality and my belief system does come from that cultural type background, you know, of just looking in the face of authority and saying, you know, what do you got? You know what I mean? And even more so like Missouri is the show me state. Like that's what Missouri calls itself. And Missouri is a lot of things. Um, but the whole mentality there of the show me state is like, you've got to prove it, you know, which sounds so New York, but that's Missouri. Like if you're going to bring something to me, then you got to, you got to prove it, you know? Um, and so that's a big part of my religious identity for sure. Um, but I grew up Jewish and specifically I grew up as a reform Jew, which is one of the sort of three or four or 400 major denominations, depending on how you count them. Um, you know, if you're going to go just by three denominations, then you're going to look at reform, conservative and orthodox, just the overall orthodox world. Um, but if you want to go to four, then you're going to go to reform, conservative, or, you know, orthodox and then ultra orthodox. If you want to start expanding it, then you have to go reconstructionist, reform, reconstructionist, because reconstructionist is kind of both more liberal and also more conservative than reform Judaism, reform Judaism, conservative, modern orthodox. Orthodox, ultra Orthodox. And then among the ultra Orthodox, there are thousands upon thousands of miniature denominations, you know, Lubavitchers and um, just sort of all these different groups that are sort of based off, you know, Bratislavers, based off of these different rabbis that are their kind of cult of personality, mystical, spiritual leader, inspiration that then has the group that follows. Um, But my movement is a um, sort of liberal movement. It's it was begun in Germany during the 1800s, um, during a time when folks were trying to bring ideas of the Enlightenment and reason into the religious experience. And specifically, the Jews in um, Germany were dealing with a really interesting conundrum, because for many generations, the Jews in Europe were sort of, you know, ostracized from the rest of the community you know, from the rest of Europe, they were given their own towns and then they were kept there. Then they were pushed down there, right? They were, they were given their own shtetls within the cities and their own communities in the countryside. And they weren't allowed to go outside of it. And they were, you know, expelled and brought in and expelled again, tens of times throughout that, throughout that time. So then along comes Napoleon with these big ideas about enlightenment, talking about everybody's a citizen, you know, not just um, the Christians, but everybody's a citizen. And now Jews are faced with this really interesting kind of conundrum. On one hand, some of the Jews looked at that kind of question, right? Well, how do we leave the ghetto and enter the community and be successful? Like, how do we do that? You know, that's like the question that they had. And some of the Jews looked and said, there's no way we can leave the ghetto and be accepted into the community. There's just no way. Um, And so actually the only thing we can do is redefine Judaism as a nationality and have our own country. So like at that time that my particular denomination was coming to be, so was Zionism, which was the idea that Jews should move to Israel and have Israel as their own nation, right? Like the mid 1800s, like 1850 is when that shit is getting started. Um, And, uh, you know, then some Jews looked at that and said, there's no way we can ever be accepted. We have to look different, walk different, talk different, be different 
And then so then you saw many Jewish communities really double down on orthodoxy and ultra orthodoxy, where they're like very much dressing differently, you know, choosing a, um, a, a type of clothing from like Poland in the mid 1800s yeah. and then just sticking yeah. with that for the rest of history. Right. Like that's like what they did. And that decision was based off the idea that the non-Jewish world will never accept us. We've got to stay in our own world. And that's what they did. And then there was some feeling prophecy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they wanted. So that's what they made. You know, they don't want anything different. Um, so it was 100 percent a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then my denomination did the opposite. They said we can still be Jewish, but we can look like everybody else around us and even have services like everybody else around us. And that's the gateway to like being accepted into the community. Right. And so that's like what they did. So the early reformed Jews kind of came together based off of that kind of mindset, which is why even when I was a rabbi, if you saw me on the street and didn't know me, you, there's no way you would know I was a rabbi, you know, right, like right. only a few times in my life have I worn a yarmulke like out on a regular basis, not for services. Mm-hmm. I've never had a beard, you know, <laughs> like yeah. ever. I've never had the curly cues, the payas that go down the side blocks there, you know, and I'm always wearing fucking jeans and a t-shirt or like shorts and a t-shirt. You know, I'm like, you won't even be able to tell that I'm Jewish if you just look at me. You know, heresy, heresy, sacrilege, heresy. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the way a hundred percent. So, um, so, you know, coming to America, this denomination then became sort of the, the scion for liberal Jewish thought and liberal Jewish things. So they were kind of always at the forefront of the Jewish world in terms of bringing new ideas in. So, um, you know, not just things like doing prayers in English, which is sort of a mishmash now in terms of what you find in the reform tradition, but also using, you know, pop instruments to, um, you know, to be instruments of prayer. So like back in the 1800s and early 1900s, we're talking about the organ and like people would just go to listen to the organ because that's what they listen to on the radio. And now it's the guitar. It's like hippie music, you know, where it's all like, it's all, you know, folk music type stuff. And that came out of the late sixties, early seventies. And now you have these like Jewish rock bands and like hip hop bands that are like doing services now because the, because those kids who are into that kind of music are old enough to want their music in, in their sanctuary, you know? So uh, reform Judaism has sort of always been on the kind of on the forefront of that. And then also on the forefront of looking at, certain laws that are part of tradition and saying, you know what, I don't think we have to do that. You know, so um, the whole idea of there's, you know, kashrut in terms of keeping kosher, you know, which is like, these are the, these are the foods that you are allowed to eat and not allowed to eat. And reformed Jews said, well, maybe it's better to be, to make an informed choice along those lines. So here the value is learning about kashrut, um, but making your own decision in terms of how you want to go about it yourself. You know, and then in terms of theology, really kind of taking that theme and bringing it to the belief system, too. So there is a boundary in terms of what you're allowed to believe as a Jew. So, for example, like Jesus, (laughs) (laughs) Jesus is over the line, you know, Um, although there are texts where he occurs in our tradition, for sure. Um, ancient, you know, Talmud, especially Jerusalem, well, only the Jerusalem Talmud and different midrashes that are there. But those are more yeah. political commentary and kind of cultural commentary than they are, you know, actual historical texts. 
Um, he's he's as closely related to Jewish belief as the you know Buddha is to Hinduism. You know what I mean? Like it's just not a part of it. Um, and so like that type of stuff is over the line, but beyond things like that, it's like, well, what do you want to believe that God is, you know, do you even have to believe in God in order to be a Jew? You know, the answer is no. Cause Judaism is one of those weird things where it's like, Judaism is the faith for the people that is Jews and your identity as a Jew isn't based on your connection to the faith. But if you wanted to practice a faith as a Jew, well, there it is. And then you've got your different options in terms of how to plug in, how to so, how to sort of go about it. Um, for me growing up, you know, I, so I grew up in that type of religious family. So we were religious. We went to synagogue, but it was a synagogue that was very liberal in terms of beliefs and politics and everything else. Um, and then, um, you know, as you know, I, I went through stages where I took it really, really seriously. It was my gateway to feeling special in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I went to Jewish summer sleepaway camp and it was the first time I ever felt cool going there. And my first kiss with a girl was at Jewish summer sleepaway camp, by the way, I don't know why I said it that way. I've never kissed a boy, but, um, but yeah, my, <laughs> first kiss, my first kiss was at Jewish summer sleepaway camp. Um, you know, I've, I eventually worked as a counselor at this sleepaway camp for many years. I became, um, you know, an assistant unit head and then a unit head. And then I became an assistant camp director. You know, it was a hundred percent my goal to be the leader of a Jewish community in that type of setting. And I went to rabbinical school and became a rabbi, you know, originally, originally at least to be, um, you know, a camp director. Um, I ended up not doing that because it's really a business position. And so I ended up being a rabbi at, at a couple of synagogues and even started my own synagogue before leaving the rabbi. So, you know, rabbinical school is five years. It's a combination of seminary, uh, graduate school, and a, a, um, a trade school, meaning that um, every class that we take is either on kind of faith and prayer and the how-to and the religious side. So that's the seminary. Or it's a graduate school, which means we're taking literature classes, we're taking history classes, we're taking philosophy classes, theology classes, etc., and it's a trade school because we're learning about the like the tactics and strategies about how to be a rabbi. Yeah, how do you do a proper, craft. yeah, the actual craft? How do you deliver a sermon? How do you do a hospital visit? How do you write a lesson plan? You know what I mean? Like, how do you deal with internal politics in your synagogue, right? All this sort of shit like that. Uh, it's a five-year program. Um, came out of it with a master's degree in Hebrew letters, which is specifically a master's degree in uh, Jewish literature. And, um, and then my smicha, which is the sort of fancy Hebrew word for rabbinical certificate. Um, I, you know, it was a special service where you basically stand in front of the Torah and in front of a rabbi who lays his or her hands on you, says a special prayer and poof, you're a rabbi. <laughs> That's like literally how it happened. Supposedly it's a part of the endless chain um, going all yeah, the way back to Aaron. Say, yeah. The Christians probably borrowed that one from the Jews. Yeah. 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 First to the Catholic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, your Messiah is Jewish. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing. And, and, and I never mean it as an insult, but Christians always take it as an insult. I'm like, technically, I'm a Christian because I believe pretty much every faith. So I believe the Jesus story. So that technically makes me Christian. So that's the thing about him. I'm like, but he is a rabbi. Yeah, like his goal was not to create Christianity; it was to reform Judaism. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, listen, Jesus. I'm a Jew, uh, but we all noticed some problems. Uh, yeah. If we did these couple of things, it would solve a lot of Jewish problems. Yeah. If Jesus. Then, that was like a bridge too far, <laughs> apparently, yeah. at the time. It was a lot of its time, and it caused a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying, if Jesus, like, was a real person, which there's enough people that, like, lived that life that he lived that we could just name it as like an amalgam of like thousands of different people at that time Mm -hmm. who were messiahs who had followings and things like that but they were all only ever jewish their entire fucking life you know what i mean like yeah he was not trying to start his own thing yeah yeah, i mean the only thing that might be starting your own thing about it is that he thought everyone should be able to become a jew yeah exactly exactly then you so, have, you know a specific you know rights for a foreigner to become a jew yeah. <laughs> so um so I, I mean i basically served as a rabbi for a handful of years um i was really good at it uh there were certain parts of the job that i really loved i did feel like i was helping people at certain moments um but then you know my life kind of took a turn and as you and i have talked about depression kind of jumped in and then these sort of nagging thoughts that I had been having about Judaism really took root and I ended up falling away from it as a practice. Although I still identify as Jewish, um, I no longer believe that, uh, you know, Judaism as a faith or as a people are adding um, good to the world in the way that we're sort of supposed to, Mm -hmm. that we were supposed to. And, um, there are sort of a handful of different aspects of maybe faith in general, identity in general, Judaism included, that really turn me off of it. And so nowadays, I actually feel closer to God than I've ever felt. Um, there's a lot about Judaism that I kind of pull from it um, into my belief system today. A lot of things that I still, you know, value from Judaism that gets pulled into my belief system today. And I guess I can identify that stuff as Jewish because it is like, that's where the connection is. But, you know, I don't like go to synagogue, do any type of Jewish ritual prayer or practice any type of Judaism in my life anymore. Um, And uh, so that's where I'm at. I mean, there's obviously it's just the iceberg and I've been fucking talking for a minute and I can keep talking, but do you have any questions? Like what have I missed? No, I think that that touches all the important points for people yeah, to get where we're both coming from. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, what we're talking about here are two kind of semi-professional, semi-amateur scholars about religion talking about this piece. I mean, you've been involved in the discourse since we were kids, uh, and you're one of the most well-read person I know, and I can totally vouch for your authority <laughs> on the shit that you do. And I have a degree in the shit. Uh, so, you know, I could show that in terms of, but I don't need you to vouch, you know, <laughs> we're good. You don't need me to vouch either, but like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we got that there. So, um, so, you know, we're coming from a certain place in terms of experience and we're also coming from a certain place in terms of knowledge that positions us to be able to, I think, have this conversation in a way that at least isn't going to be dumb. Um, it might not be intelligent, but it's not going to be dumb, I think. <laughs> yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, all right, with that done, where do you think we should start? Um, <laughs> well, uh, let's, let's start in a positive and just think what... Uh, like religious stories, let's start with religious stories and how that could be used 
to help shape a better society. Oh, like yeah. All the things we complained about in previous podcasts. <laughs> you know, religion's like one of the first and most powerful uh, introductions to like culture, right? Mm-hmm. And to indoctrination into your culture. So if you have something useful and positive, that'd be a great start. I mean, it shapes the family, it shapes the politics, it, it shapes everything about the culture. Yeah. And think about just as much trouble as the Bible offers within, think about just how cool of an idea it is that we have this text that was, you know, you might believe it was delivered by God. I I personally believe it was written by people, but to me that even makes it sort of cooler because it's like, my gosh, it was written by people, you know, quite a few thousand years ago, 5,000 years ago. And, and some of the texts, you know, um, some texts are more recent, obviously, but quite a few thousand years ago, some of them, and what a cool way to kind of, you know, touch, a generation that was there so long ago, you know, to kind of like hear their words and try to interpret what their lives would have been like because of those words and then to engage in discourse with them and look at how humanity has progressed, you know, since then it's, it's pretty cool. And you think about like, historically speaking, like, you know, if, if uh, we were able to sort of go back in time and meet someone from like just 1915, like we would have nothing in common with that person. (laughs) (laughs) we wouldn't recognize them we wouldn't know them they wouldn't know us you know what i mean (laughs) right think about this in 1913 i think i forget what year they stopped doing this but they used to read george washington's farewell address every year on president's day and included in george washington's farewell address is a dire warning against ever getting involved in international Wars, conflicts, <laughs> politics, and everything. Now look at us. <laughs> we can't mind our own business at all. If we were to go back in time and tell those people that this is what America was doing, they would be like, what in the fuck are you even talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's true. America was like dead neutral for a long time. Dead neutral. That was like the big question of World War One and World War Two. was like, yeah. will America get involved? You know? I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, um, so now with this text, we can go back 5,000 years, some of the text and, and be amazed. Like these are words that people said and sentences that we can understand and, you know, sharing some thoughts and fears and shit like that, that we can kind of pull from it. And God, that's amazing. You know? So yeah. One question I actually have, uh, more ideas for origin stories of, of, uh, of a religion that would be useful. And I have a lot of ideas about, you know, what the morality code should be. Yeah. Uh, when I, what I'm uncertain of though, what about the, these end of the world stories? Is there a place for that anymore? Oof. You know, these apocalyptic tales, like the end of the world is coming and what shape that's going to happen. Do we even need that? I mean, right now, right now I would say, no, we don't need it. Yeah. Just because like, it's obvious, <laughs> but on the other hand, like, I mean, why would, I mean, wouldn't they have needed it then too? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's like, wasn't life hard enough then? Back then yeah. And then they're talking about God's wrath is coming to burn everybody down. Like, it's I mean, how, great. <laughs> you know, I can't got, even get these potatoes to grow properly. I'm working 17 hour days and now God's going to burn me to a crisp. I mean, we've got like COVID, so we're getting a sense of this, but like they had the plague back then. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like nobody yeah, knew what was going on. Yeah. 
You're going to throw it yeah. over. In their yeah. world, their world was over. That, I, that's how I look at apocalypses. It's not necessarily like the end of all. Yeah. Although, you know, now that we have technology and physics and science, we know a world can end very easily and instantaneously. But as far as religious terminology, like, you know, the world has ended many times. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, groups of people come and go, reliefs, belief systems come and go, so on and so forth. Yeah. But yeah. I just don't know if it helps in any positive way to have that. Or or if you were writing a new faith for a new culture, would you just not have that? So um, back in rabbinical school, one of the things that we did was we, we did do some study on the different faiths in, you know, sort of different world faiths. Not enough to necessarily be like bona fide expert, but enough to at least be able to have like an intelligent rudimentary conversation. So I couldn't like tell you about, you know, the five different practices of, um, you know, the five different types of yoga or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't tell you about like, you know, all the tenets of Buddhism or Islam or anything like that. But I could I could teach enough of like I, I know enough of the basics and teach enough of the basics to kind of have a rudimentary understanding of how the different world religions work. And basically you have, you know, sort of two different types of world religions. Um, you have re world religions that are sort of what we can call like historical religions where um, they're essentially building their entire faith off of the life and teaching of either a historical figure or a figure that they consider to be, they don't actually have to be historical, you know, but sure. if the people consider them to be historical, then it's still historical um, or a bunch of historical figures. So like the ultimate historical religion is really Christianity, right? Cause it's all built around Christ, his life, his teachings, his spirit, his essence. Uh, okay, all, right. Um, whereas Judaism, it's interesting mix because um, Judaism has a lot of different people. Um, it's not sort of one, it's, it's many, many, you know, from Moses to fucking Rashi to all these different, you know, biblical characters, different rabbis and things like that. Um, you know, Islam is another example because they have, uh, Muhammad and his teaching, but it's not just Muhammad, but Muhammad's like a big part of it. Um, sure. and, and so these are, you know, historical faiths. And on the other side, you have soteriological faiths. Those are faiths that are, more kind of looking for sort of a peak kind of salvatory or um, enlightenment type experience, you know, where they're either practice based or they are ritual based um, or they're theological based, but they're not basing their anything on historical figures or teachings. Um, so, you know, Buddhism is probably a good example of that because while you have the Buddha, who's really an uplifted figure, certainly in Buddhism, unless you're in Tibet, Buddhism really doesn't function like a religion. It's more a group of practices that vary from culture to culture, but one need not, you know, you can be a practicing Buddhist and still be Jewish. And there really isn't any, you know, problem there. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't have to give up Judaism to practice Buddhism. Sure. And same thing with Christianity. You know, you don't have to give up Christianity to practice Buddhism. So it kind of functions differently in that way. Um, but the goal of the Buddhist is to find enlightenment. Um, right. And same thing for the goal of the Hindu is just to find enlightenment. So they're not like so story centric. They're like, well, either through practice or by meditation or by giving or by like more forward facing. Right. 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 Exactly. We're, we're looking to kind of find enlightenment there. Um, 
So, you know, that's sort of the other type of faith, right? Um, and, you know, for the historical faiths like Judaism and Christianity and Islam, there's always a really, really rich origin story because it's a chronological story. And naturally speaking, you got to start from the beginning, right? Like that's kind of how that goes. Um, but uh, in the soterological faiths, they're not necessarily that centric because it's not really a story-based faith. Do you know what I mean? Like sure, they don't really sure. use story exactly. I mean, it doesn't mean there aren't stories in there. Yeah, there's stories in their cultures, but they're not necessarily connected to Buddhism. Do you know right. what I mean? Right. So I don't know what that means, but what are we talking uh, about? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking, I'm trying to figure out if, if apocalyptic stories have a place in building a, a better society. So I guess or, what I'm saying there is no, because I don't think apocalyptic stories are necessarily prevalent in every faith or you know yeah i mean before before the monotheists uh there was a cycle of time kind of a pattern to the religions right so even if it ended it only ended to return right exactly the phoenix you know, rising christianity up. came with this thing where like there's a dramatic conclusion it's just gonna come crashing to an end and a violent end at that yeah, this is like, I, I kind of agree. I was kind of on the fence, but now you've convinced me more. Yeah, there shouldn't be any yeah. apocalyptic stories. Uh, maybe some apocalyptic warnings that we can destroy ourselves. Um, yeah. Like I said, it could be obvious, but maybe it's not obvious. I don't know. This is, by the way, why, why you needed more Jewish lawyers in like the origins of Christian thought and theology. Because like <laughs> the whole, like no, like no person in their right mind would, would like look at a faith and sort of say, you make one mistake in eternity and damnation. You know what I mean? Like, right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, even like the worst crimes we can think of, there's like, you know, a limit to how much punishment you can give to a person. Like, like if someone does a crime that's worthy of punishment of death, it's still like, okay, but it's going to be like painless. You know what I mean? Like, we're going like, to do it in a humane way. You know what I mean? Like, that's like how humans do it. But like an ethical God is going to be like, no burn in hell forever, <laughs> forever, forever be raped by demons. You know, it's like, whoa, <laughs> all I did was steal a little thing of M&Ms when I was 10, you know, <laughs> so, there's, a, there's a harshness to that that feels a little um, over the top, you know, yeah. and then, and then the, the other thing we have to think about here is developing, you know, a religion that works well in a society where the goal is to have everyone be literate and educated, as opposed to a religion that's developed within a society that doesn't necessarily have that goal or that effort, you know? So yeah, it does function yeah. differently there too. Yeah. You definitely need a faith that, uh, you know, pushes exploration as well. Mm -hmm. I do think the future of humanity is in the stars, like no planet lasts forever. And uh, yeah. we can't just say, oh, this is thousands of years in the future. We should actually be looking at it now. And yeah. the other aspect of uh, looking towards space and science is just that it helps you uh, to improve yourself and the culture in general, regardless if you make it off the world or not. Just everything you have to do to get off the planet, into space, and land somewhere else. That requires so much uh, cooperative work and uh hard science and math and so forth that that's just good for a culture uh, yeah. in general yeah no you're 100 percent right and i think that brings up um 
a certain fatal flaw that you find in many of the world's faiths um, mm -hmm. that I think is absolutely holding humanity back. And that is, you know, and we'll, this is like a little bit of any faith that does this, we need to look at that faith with a skeptical eye. <laughs> and what we're coming down to, like the conclusion is that we're going to have to look at all faiths with a skeptical eye. So like any faith that, um, insists on connecting to a specific place to the exclusion of other peoples. Yes. We, we got to look at that faith with a skeptical eye, like yeah. a faith that wants to claim land and not share it. You know, we really have to wonder about right. what they're sort of doing there. You know, yeah, like what's the goal there? <laughs> what's the, <laughs> the goal, goal there? is very obvious, but very dangerous. Right. <laughs> Right. The whole idea of lifting up one place on earth over another as more holy or more close to God. Right. Um, and one place on earth over another that's like not for these people, but only for us, you know, I think is really problematic. Um, I think it stands not only against, you know, just sort of the idea that we've been talking about, about there being one human race um, yeah. and we need to be sharing re resources, um, but also you know, stands against what you just talked about, which is, you know, look, the reality is it doesn't take every single science. It's not fantasy. Every single scientist that you could ever talk to says if humanity is going to survive into the future, we got to get off this planet. Yeah. We have to. Um, and so we just look to the stars long enough and you see entire, not just planets, but entire galaxies being destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't, you can't just stay in one spot. No animal on this planet yeah. that just stays on that one spot forever would ever make it. Well, and what, what allowed for humanity especially to be so successful is A, our ability to walk long distances and B, our brain's ability to develop us as like the ultimate generalists where we could be, you know, yeah, yeah. basically successful anywhere on earth except for underwater and at the North and South Pole, you know, but can eat almost any food, can eat almost any animal, can figure out how to kill almost any animal and can figure out how to live and thrive in almost any environment. Um, that's sort of what defines us as a, as a people. I get it. Like we've got a circadian rhythm that's completely tied to this earth. Um, we've got millions and, you know, millions of years of, um, building up defenses against microcosms, you know, of, um, um, you know, little micro animals and, um, you know, viruses and things that get inside of us and our bodies know how to fight it off because we're totally created by this earth of this earth from this earth and taking our bodies into space for a long period of time, taking them to another planet with another type of, you know, just another level of gravity is going to fuck with us, like totally going to fuck with us. But like what's a hundred percent holding us back is any faith that says, no, this is where we belong from now until forever. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Cause then literally we can, say, yeah. we can have people say, Oh, there's a comet to destroy us all on this planet and uh, we have to leave. And you'll have a large number of people who will just refuse to leave. Yeah. They'll go to Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as I get blown up in Jerusalem or whatever place of faith. I know. I know. It's the, it's the most basic thing. Any, it's like any faith that wants to tie us to a place on earth or to earth and isn't looking to the stars or beyond, like, it's not helpful to humanity. Um, in the so, same way, by the way, like on an even like more like everyday kind of scale, any faith that excludes its members to marrying people outside the faith or people, that's oh a problem. God. That's a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. not just for cultural reasons, but also for like 
genetic reasons. <laughs> I was going to say, we, the, our new faith would have to push den- genetic diversity. I mean, 100%. Like, you know, and that might be a cultural thing. You know, like, how do we, like, make it so that people want to marry someone different and yeah. have kids with someone different? Like, that's, yeah. like, got to be... There is a gateway to that, by the way, that I've discovered in my dating life, um, which is to say that I'm very attracted to women who are different. Like, very, it's, very It's different. actually, that's the normal thing if you just observe children before parents get into their heads. Right. You're just attracted to something that's different. It's only natural that you need a, a fresh set of genes. It's always yeah. fascinating. Someone yeah. who's different. Um, <laughs> yeah. You have to be taught otherwise. So we need a faith that pushes that um, and a faith that probably has its origin story that we came from the stars, not from here. And that the new Holy Land, quote unquote, since we seem to need that, is out there somewhere. Well, here's my question for you. If the Holy Land is here, like you said, you'll never leave. (laughs) Right. And but here's my question for you. I get why we need to separate church and state. Like that makes a lot of sense because it's power worlds and I've been a religious leader. I felt that power. I know what it's like to be tempted with the possibility of like shaping a person's vote. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you're not allowed to do that as a religious leader. Like there's laws against that in America, but they do it all the fucking time because you can do it. Yeah. 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 There was this big thing uh, back in my DC days where and I don't want to get too deep in the story, but suffice it to say, a situation rose up where I was actually called in to be a witness at um, at this family dispute. Um, and uh, because I was leading a religious service when this disagreement happened and they oh. tried, they, they, I got, um, so, what do you call it? When I got served, like a dude came to me and, and handed me a piece of paper and said, you've been served. And I had to like, I was being forced to go into a deposition, but I didn't want to do it because I would have had to take sides there. And, um, and my synagogue actually fought against it and won. <laughs> and I didn't have to be deposed. Um, wow. and, and they used an argument that was this old school argument that basically said um, that a rabbi's opinion holds unfair weight in the court of law, which is why you shouldn't bring a rabbi as a witness because they'll, or any religious leader as a witness because the, because um, the jury will will assign them undue respect. Yeah. And if the law was serious at all, they would say the same thing about police officers. But that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that was going to keep on coming up. We, we can't cover that one enough. <laughs> we can't cover that one enough. So, um, so yeah, I, the point I'm trying to make here is that it totally makes sense to me why church and state should be separate. And I think they should remain separate. It does not necessarily make sense to me why science and religion should be separate. Right, right, right. It it almost needs to be both because people are motivated differently. It wasn't always separate, you know? I mean, when you, it's like, okay, well, what's science, right? Like, are we really going to say that, like, people who are reading tea leaves in China um, you know, and making political decisions based off of that, like they're really scientists. And the answer is in today's mindset about what a scientist is, absolutely not. But in that mindset about what a scientist was and that understanding of the world, absolutely yes. Um, and it was a real cross section between faith and science, you know, but you don't even look at that. I mean, the, in a lot of ways, the original scientists of the modern age were all Catholic monks. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know? or, or funded by them. Or funded by them. A hundred percent, you know. So um, I'm not, I'm yeah, not. we get chemistry from alchemy. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I'm not a hundred percent sure why they have to be separate. I know the arguments as to why they're like, I know a lot of the arguments, obviously, in terms of why they're separate. Um, you know, when you look at like, well, some people will say, well, science is about what and religion is about why, or science is about how and religion is about why, you know? Um, so they're sort of after the same effort. Science is after a deeper understanding of the universe and how it works. And religion is like the spiritual version of that. You know, yeah. um, so I've heard like that argument before, but that like sort of presupposes that you can't have a belief in God that might be based off of sort of scientific concepts. Right, right, right. Because like that's where mine's at. Yeah. You know, and for me, it's it's more the uh, I agree with that, but I would just add that the 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 true usefulness of religion was the exploration of like your internal mental world. And then by extension, the uh, uh, internal mental world of the rest of your fellow humans. There's like your personal mythology, you know, your dreams and your memories and you know, weird perceptions. And right. then there's the mythology of the rest of the species. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you yeah. think about like, we, we, we learn by stories, you know? Yep. I had this to a much greater extent than facts or figures. Sorry. A hundred percent. I was going to say, I had this uh, professor in rabbinical school who I think rightly said, if you really, really, really want to understand why you believe the things you believe about God um, or about just whatever the larger thing is that you believe in, just look at your relationship with your parents and that'll like explain everything. <laughs> that's what she said. I think that's really right. You know, there's some truth to that. There's some mm -hmm. truth to that. You know, so when you're whatever really, you're exposed to in those early years have yeah. like a permanent hold on you. Yeah. So when you really, really think about it, um, in a lot of ways, the cross-section between religion as we consider it now and science as we consider it now is psychology and psychiatry. Um, because mm -hmm. it's a scientific approach to understanding personal narrative. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of like where that's at, but I don't think we need to stop there. You know, like, I think we can also recognize that there's a lot of faith in science, for example, because there's just, this, there's, there's faith everywhere. I mean, yeah. when I walk out of the door to my apartment, I'm doing so believing I'm going to eventually come back into my apartment later that day. <laughs> you know, that's faith. <laughs> um, so we have a science-based uh, religion. Yeah. A forward-facing, exploring, uh, exploration-focused uh, religion. Mm -hmm. um, how do we get to equality? Um, okay, so that's that's my question. I mean, there's a couple of different gateways. Certainly, there's story and narrative, and then there's ritual and practice. Um, and uh, those are typically the two things that religion does to try to help people like either mm. uses story and narrative or, or ritual and practice to make people feel better about their lives and to create a sense of unity and peoplehood and connectedness. Yes. 
Um, so those are the two basic tools that it uses, you know. So, for example, um, you know, if you were going to have an origin story, then it would be the science story. Right. Like if you were going to have a religion that has an origin story, then it's the fucking Big Bang. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, (laughs) it's a a star. Yeah, it's a star. Yeah, that's the origin story. And then when you tell the story of the peoplehood, you tell the story of evolution. And then you use history to, to take you the rest of the way, you know, so you don't have to actually invent a story. It's like already there Mm -hmm. for you. Yeah, it's it's peculiar to me. As an aside, it's it's peculiar to me that uh, so many faiths uh, have an origin story of a one people. We're all one people. Most of those yeah. religions do say that, and you know, people went there different ways and ended up looking slightly different as they went different ways. Right. And somehow, with that, we're all one people story. It's like a universal story. We can't get it done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I don't know. I don't know. Somehow they keep finding ways of splitting everybody up. Um, so I would add maybe to your story, like now maybe we're getting to the you know laws and penalties part of the religion where any maybe the person who is trying to divide us and call other people subhuman or not human or anything that does something like that might just have to be heresy. Right. Right. So in other words, um, any act, it's like, uh, I don't know a lot about this, but apparently Germany post Nazism put together a bunch of laws called humanity laws, honor. I forget the name. I forget. Honestly, I forget what it's called, but this, this friend of mine who grew up in Germany years ago told me about it. And basically it's like, you're not allowed like anything that you could do that would diminish the humanity of an other is actually against the law. Um, And they take it to pretty, it's a pretty intense start. I mean, it makes a ton of sense following the Holocaust that they would go to this level, but I mean, it's shit like giving somebody the finger was Mm -hmm. either is or was against the law at one point in post Nazi Germany. I love the premise. I'm not going to get into the weeds of like, you know, specific things because times always change and that's, that's where things get difficult. Yeah. But yeah, I love that as a goal. Anything that detracts from the humanity of another person, like that's heresy. Yeah. A great. Yeah. And then the other one that I really love, the other country that does it well, and I don't remember which one I want to say Malaysia, but that could be wrong. I would need to look it up. I mean, we're just kind of covering this right now and I didn't know this shit was going to come up. So um, look it up, but uh, I want to say Malaysia um, has this thing where they, they, they developed based off of their faith and culture, a happiness quotient. And basically what they're constantly doing is measuring the happiness of their people. And then every decision they make as a government you before they make that decision, they have to prove that it will measurably increase the happiness of their people. Interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Right? Yeah. Well, we are saying that, you know, you need to find methods of, uh, you know, everyone working to improve the culture and the whole, and the science of the whole, not just for oneself. Yeah. I mean, we are one of the world's most unhappy nations. 
That's true. I and, definitely see that index. And we claim ourselves to like be the best, like yeah. pretty much all the time in everyone's face, but so few of us are actually happy. Yeah. And then like, how best can you be when that's when, right. when you're not even happy or, or even content, right. I'll lower the bar, even in content. <laughs> I mean, they literally, they literally have a test that they, it's like a survey that they send out to the people and the people do it. And then they get it back and they measure, okay, well, the people right now are this happy. Um, and it's not happy enough. We got to make some different decisions and they make some different decisions. They send another test a few months later. It's like, okay, we got the happiness level up. We're doing better now. <laughs> How crazy is that? You know? Love it. I love it. I love it too. Love both of those. Yeah. I think that something similar to those two things is a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think, I think that's where you go. And then the, I guess the final thing for at least this initial conversation about religion would be, I don't know if this is the final thing in your mind, at least. I don't even know why I said that. Maybe we'll edit that out. But whatever. <laughs> um, is uh, practice and ritual, right? Does there need to be um, a unified practice or ritual in order, to, um, in order for it to be a unified sort of faith? Um, so I've got a couple of thoughts about that. Before I jump in, I wonder what your thoughts are. Uh, so my, my reflex reaction is actually the wrong reaction because I'm kind of a loner. So I'm like, nah, you don't need that. But then you realize how much interconnectedness and hive mind there is in, in everybody else. Yeah. And yeah, so to that extent, you need, need something people to do in groups. Yeah. For sure. Just to help the connectedness and the sense of oneness. People really do need that. Well, we used to talk in, you know, when I was a rabbi about having an, an open tent kind of mindset where you picture a tent, but with four open walls or whatever, everyone can enter from their own place. So, you know, for some folks, the gateway into the tent really is and has to be ritual, but ritual never really spoke to me. Not like organized ritual in groups kind of more made me nervous than anything else, you know, because it's sort of like, what am I taking part in? You know, like I'm the dude who's like at the show clapping, looking at my hands going, why am I doing this? <laughs> It's the most bizarre human behavior of all. I'm like <laughs> macking together my palms to show approval. You know what I mean? Like what? Like why am I doing this? Um, like, all right, humans, if this is what you need me to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I feel ridiculous. Um, but uh, but yeah. So it never really spoke to me, but it does speak to a lot of people, and I know yes. that um, you know personal ritual does speak a lot to me in terms of just like what I do. And it's not stuff like lighting candles or saying prayers It's stuff like what I do in the shower. You know what I mean? Like what I do in the pool when I swim, like, you know, what I do right. in the morning when I wake up, like those types of rituals. Um, but like ritual as a gateway for people to feel a certain belonging is like a really good tool, you know, a really good tool. And all the best rituals know how to tell stories and then also kind of bring people together. You know, yeah. so like when I talk about the history of Judaism, how Judaism came about, I give um, a, like an imagined parallel um, in terms of, um, you know, what, uh, I don't know, just as like a thought, a thought experiment about how Judaism came to be. So what I say is, imagine if Canada just like took over America next week. You know what I mean? They're just like, fuck it. We're sick of the cold. Their army is all elsewhere. <laughs> Their politics are a mess. We got to get Trump out of office. We're invading. And then they just invade. 
and they kick us out like successfully. Right. So now all of America spreads around the world into this diaspora. And like, you know, I end up in like Asia because I'm on the West Coast and that's like the nearest other continent. You end up in Europe because you're on the East Coast of some other continent. And now we're left this conundrum of like, now what are we? You know, because like, you know, if you're in France and like that's just where you are now for the rest of your life and then your children, if you ever have kids and their children and then their children and so on, like that's just like where it is. The rest of your life, you're American, but like your kids and your kids' kids, they're going to be more and more French and then just eventually French. So you're left with this choice of like, well, do I let America go or do I like hold on to it in a certain way? And if I'm going to hold on to it, how do I do it? So then suddenly things that were national rituals and national kind of part of the national religion or whatever, like translate into, you know, the, um, the way that you practice then. So July 4th sticks around, but like, instead of about America's independence, it becomes a return to America narrative. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Thanksgiving also sticks around, but instead of being about the pilgrims, it becomes about um, the return eventually. Right. Um, And you even hold on to sports, but it, you know, but now you've got shrines to like baseballs and baseball bats and footballs you know, like shit like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's like kind of how it would go. Um, and then it would turn into a religion. Right. So like the, I think the overall point I'm making here is that like, if we just look around, we actually already have rituals as Americans that we do every single year that we would just need to shift a little bit to take suddenly a different, like a really different meaning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is like a plethora of examples around me put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Figure out what's actually important and what's 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 important, yeah. what's useful, and what's yeah. eternal. Yeah, a slight adjustment to Thanksgiving, and you've got an amazing holiday. As it stands now, it's mass turkey death and <laughs> celebration of the beginning of a genocide. Basically. Right. You know. <laughs> um, but the word Thanksgiving is incredible, and it's based on a Judeo-Christian. It's based on the Passover Seder you know, like that meal. So a slight shift there and it becomes something different, I think, you know? So uh, as an aside to this, it's not uh, useful at all. So it's like, yeah, uh, (laughs) brings to mind, as I always say, not really related, but brings to mind. Uh, I have like a personal ritual of destruction. Okay. Uh, Right. So either I'll write up a prayer sheet or I'll take something that's important and burn it or destroy it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's like the impermanence of things. And it's also just the letting go and to realize that letting go of things, the even things that might be precious to you is not necessarily a bad thing that it's destruction is going to create new opportunities yeah. and you have to let things go and not let them hold on to you too much. Yeah. You know, it's funny you should mention that because I do that exact same thing in relationships. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I meet a woman, I connect with her, and then and then we just break up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just burn that relationship to the ground. Burn that relationship to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Not the woman, the relationship. <laughs> yeah, oh, like when I, whenever I tell people, you know, nothing lasts forever, they say, oh, you're being negative. And I'm like, no, it's not negative because that means if something bad is happening in your life, yeah, that too will not 
go on forever. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my, here's my other question about, uh, mm -hmm. here's my next question about like, if we were going to invent the faith that was actually good for the world, um, should it have a name? Yeah. 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 Um, but don't ask me what that name is, but you, you have to be able to call it something. <laughs> Makes me nervous. I mean, I'd almost say you'd just have to invent a new name with a new language. Just invent a whole new language. Yeah, a new language and a new name. Uh, you don't want anything to be culturally specific in any way. How does this conversation relate to the tradition of the story of the Tower of Babel? <laughs> <laughs> Um, mm. how deep of a dive did you ever do in the story of a really, Bavel? really deep dive, um, yeah. historically and religiously? Mm -hmm. Um, the chief, the chief problem with that is like <laughs> monotheistic God, uh, gods of Faris Rahi, <laughs> Christian writing in particular, mm -hmm. is problematic because of things like that because there's like too much punishment and childish irrationality, like all the time, <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you're getting too close. <laughs> I mean, do you realize, it's like, all like, oh, freaking out when you see somebody approaching us that he doesn't like? You're getting too close. The story. Destroy everything. Confuse the situation. Like, we need a God of unity, not <laughs> disunity. I mean, how weird is that? The whole story of the Tower of Babel, which just, like, comes out of nowhere and then ends it's out of nowhere. progress as well. That's the other thing. Yeah, it's crazy. It's there it is, and the people start cooperating. And building a tower and it's getting taller and taller. And suddenly the angels and God become afraid that the people are yeah. going to build a tower that's bigger than them. And then no one will be able to stop them. And then, yeah. um, and so they confound the people. God confounds the people with different languages and the people are no longer able to communicate or understand each other and then, sell, and then sent apart. So like I, I've done a little bit of a deep dive in that too. Think about this, right? So like, let's say this happened to me and you. Right. We're let's, let's say it's happened right now. Right. Me and you, we've got years of experience, you know, in our friendship. We've got years and years of conversation. Not only have we logged thousands of hours of talking to each other, but we've done it so well that we don't even necessarily need to look at each other to basically know where the pauses are and all that stuff. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I definitely, you know, sort of jump your line a little bit here and etc. But you know what I mean? And, um, and we're embarking on this project. How different would God have to make us in order for us to not understand each other even at all? Yeah. Like yeah. that's not just languages. That's everything. That's everything. Yeah. The people were building a tower. They were cooperating. The tower was really big. Everybody already knew what their specific jobs were. Yeah. Right. Like, it wasn't just God changed their languages and now they couldn't communicate. Like they could still use hand signals, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you put this beam there and I put this beam there. You couldn't go. read anymore. You didn't understand the hand signals even. They didn't understand each other. They didn't even understand that each other was still human. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, and that story, God drives their difference so great, you know, that they're no longer able to cooperate. And that's supposed to come to explain why there's all these conflicts within people. So, like, if you take that story from an orthodoxy kind of mindset, then it's like not only are our differences from God, but if we work to unite ourselves, then we'll be working directly against God. Against God, yeah. That's some bullshit right there. Yeah. I mean, I, I would never write a story like that. And if I did, it would end in God getting killed. 
Yeah, because God's the bad guy in that story. Yeah, and, that's just like, and that's how we freed ourselves from the tyranny of the divine. Like, yeah. <laughs> the day, we cooperated and took him out. Like, that was it. Like, God was like... I mean, how fucked up system and then the galaxy. Talk about talk about a fucked up relationship with your parent, like to lead to the writing of that story. Like, no, 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 no. Like, it's not the job of the parent to teach the kid to be greater than the parent. The job of the parent is to hold the child down. You should never be greater than me. You know, (laughs) my job is following that example for generations. I know. know. So uh, that's what I'm saying. Like shit like that is like kind of crazy but there there is another example of an origin story like they're they're trying to explain why people can't seem to get along with each other and the only explanation they can come up with is god um and then they use the story of the tower of babel to kind of like try to tell it there but that's crazy you know yeah so (laughs) yeah so yeah but i mean yeah and then and then that's my you know that, I mean, it's stuff like that that is the reason why I just felt the need to walk away from all of it, you know. Um, so that's what scares me about the name piece. You know, the name piece is when you like if I was going to name our religion anything, it would be like maybe humanism. You know what I mean? But there's already humanistic Judaism. And that's essentially it's not this is like a way oversimplification. So. You know, for those, it's going to be better than my simplification. So you go. <laughs> I mean, this is like so oversimplified, but basically, it's like a, a Judaism without God. You know, where they yeah. take God out of the worship and they make the yeah. full experience Jewish. But you can still believe in God and be there, and there are different humanistic synagogues that approach this shit differently. They're for the community, not for the belief. Yeah, but typically, when someone says I'm a humanist, they're they're putting themselves in this Venn diagram and probably falling in the atheistic place and like. I'm not an atheist, although I think we should have a- we should have room for people who are atheists to feel a sense of belonging to this faith. You know, like we're Judaism, where it's like you can be an atheist and still be a Jew. You don't have to practice Judaism. You can still be a Jew. Where it's like humanism is the faith, and you're still a human, even if you don't practice it or believe in it, but it's just humanism. It's like human is the people, humanism is the faith. You know what I mean? Like that model, I think, makes a lot of sense. Um but uh, but that word already exists places, you know, so I'm not sure what else to do besides yeah, human. It, maybe it's the number zero or something. I don't even know. Like, <laughs> right? Like uh, like I said with uh, Kathleen in the last Sunshine episode, like we'll just replace her name with like a symbol, like Prince. You yeah, know, yeah. Like, do it like that, you know. It's got to be new because then later on, like some culture will say, oh, well, the Britons created this religion and this language and, you know. And then it'll I mean, just be something else to put power over somebody else. Yeah. So. I mean, you Prince. Know, you know, Prince could first group of people that just come up with something different. Yeah, you were saying something serious. I was in the middle of saying that Prince could just be the religion. I, mean, I, <laughs> I may agree to that. I may agree. I, mean, I know you were making a serious point, but there are people who would agree with me on this that we could just you make Prince. Just the call now, so good going. Yo, can you imagine? I mean, that would be like I can, I can, like that easily. That would be a great country. Prince is the religion? Just a purple satin flag? Come on. <laughs> no, 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 no. Even now, I'm not exhausted enough to fall for that one. <laughs> no, you know what? And, and now is not the time to fucking make Minneapolis the holy city. Like, now is not the time to make Minneapolis the holy city. You know, so Minneapolis kind of, the ship sailed. 
Prince died and then they revealed their true selves and that was it, you know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, <clears throat> I, like that's what, what frightens me is identity. Like I, I, I think the goal is a single, I, a way to create it so that when every single human being looks in the mirror, all they see is human. So mm-hmm. the last, you know, the, the last kind of, effort there was to make race go away from that, you know, and, and, but now we have to look at religion as well. Um, and so having a name really scares the shit out of me because it's all, all it needs is a name and then you find your way to an identity. Right. Yeah. So maybe it has no name. Maybe it has no name or straight up. uh, The best definition of God of gods is, uh, ineffable. Right. Yeah. Yeah, or you just get so ridiculous that you can't possibly like the closest thing I have to like a faith that I actually really like is um, uh, the Pastafarians. <laughs> have you come across the Pastafarians? No, it's a farce faith. It was created by a handful of really funny kids from like Dartmouth University back in like the early nineties and or late 80s or something like that and um they it's a it's like they got like they did everything legally they have to do to be considered a real faith so they are Mm -hmm. a real faith as considered by the american government or whatever um and they worship uh the a giant flying spaghetti monster (laughs) okay yeah i have heard about them yes i do right And, uh, and, um, they have holidays. Like, for example, my, one of my favorite micro holidays is international talk like a pirate day. And oh, that came from them. I didn't realize that. that came, it's the same people. So it's the Pastafarians that invented international talk like a pirate day. So like that is actually, I mean, as much as I'm kidding right now and it's a little ridiculous, that is a way that we could take this idea. <laughs> <laughs> just to make something silly. <laughs> just to make something so utterly ridiculous that it. No, I, I actually, <laughs> it's a funny idea, but like, but truthfully, I think the the silence idea and the just no name of it is. Yeah. The and then that could be like one of the group, <laughs> one of the group things that we're talking about, like one of the group events is like an annual moment of silence. Yeah. It's a, that it's a being mourning something. It's just really just embracing. Humanist and like, what is it to be human? It's completely ineffable. It's silence. They do a version of that in Israel, and I can tell you, it's extremely powerful. Only it it's not to. exactly silence. Silence. It's um, mm-hmm. on uh, their version of Memorial Day, in which they remember um, fallen dead soldiers, and then okay. there, and then there's also a Holocaust Memorial Day where they remember victims of the Holocaust. Um, and they've expanded it to other victims of, you know, hatred around the world or whatever, but basically it's on a certain day that most Jews recognize it's like Holocaust Memorial Day. And, um, and what they do is they blow the air raid sirens, um, for like a minute and not like up and down, but just the sirens go up and then it holds up for like a minute. So it almost sounds like wailing basically. Mm-hmm. And then everybody stops in their tracks. It's like a set designated time. If you're walking down the sidewalk, you pause and just stand there. If you're driving your car, you pull out to you pull over or just stop in the middle of the road and open your door and you stand up and just stand there. And they do it around the country. Um, and, you know, it's just the Jews that pisses the fuck out of the Arabs. 
Um, but uh, if you're in a little area where it's like just Jewish people around, it's it's amazing. Especially if you're like on the highway, you know what I mean? And they're like, everyone stops. Everyone stops. And then they step out of their cars and wherever you are, you hear the air raid siren and you just stand there for a minute. Then you get back in the car and you go on your way. Yeah. So now, now that you've told me that, that, I think a combination of silence with some sort of movement. I don't know if the movement's dance or a gesture or whatever, but by <laughs> those two things together. Yeah. Determined all the time. <clears throat> I mean, it's hard to imagine stuff like this with um, in the current COVID environment. But what if it's something like, you know, you have to take the hands of everybody nearby. You know yeah. what I mean? You just, yeah. Both of your hands have to have some of someone else's hands really in there. Contact, yeah. yeah. No words, just togetherness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, I think that would be powerful. Yeah, I think it'd be really powerful, you know. Um, and you have most communities, you have a way to make a, I mean, every community still has air raid sirens that you can use. You've certainly got cell phones that you could send out mm-hmm. blast to. Um, yeah. to. You know, at the designated time, it's not that hard to find that time and do it and then you know, just a reminder, this is who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Togetherness. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, again, like pulling from Jewish and Israeli traditions, there's a tradition in Israel that I really like. Um, it, a, it's a, it's an unbelievable blast and B it does something fascinating, um, in the end, which is they have the world's most fun independence day celebration. Like we have picnics, drink beer and watch fireworks and hope that people don't blow off fingers. But every year they do Um, in Israel, they do fireworks. But what they do, what they really do is they do citywide, community wide shaving cream fights. (laughs) I'm like not even kidding. Like they, you know, I remember I was like living in Jerusalem and it was Israeli Independence Day and I was walking towards like the big city center. And, um, I like knew that this is what went down, but I didn't like really know this is what went down. And I'm sitting there and I'm kind of walking and I'm looking and then I kind of see it off in the distance. And all I see is shaving cream flying everywhere and people just lathered in shaving cream. And me and my friends who were walking kind of looked at each other and we were just like, okay, I guess this is what's happening. You know, (laughs) I didn't really sign up for this exactly. I might've worn something different, but let's just go live it. And we went in there. We all lost each other within like 35 seconds. Um, and then you're just kind of wandering the streets, like alone covered in shaving cream. You can't recognize anybody. Everyone's like mixed together in this big mess. The symbolism of it being white kind of aside, you know, we can maybe make a black shaving cream or whatever, like just to even shit out in America. But knowing that that context does exist in Israel, but not as crazy as it does here. Like it's kind of neat. The idea of you're going and you're celebrating together and the people you came with, you can't pick them out of a lineup. You know, it's just everybody together. Any, any and all sort of uh, friendly celebrations, lots and lots and lots of them are perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, yeah. whatever excuse you can come up with to throw a party, that's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's another kind of like, so I think there I mean, are. Everything doesn't have to be like a, a <laughs> mournful moment of silence or a serious moment. Right. Maybe once a year or something like that. And then maybe every 30 days, there's like some kind of massive party and parade. Right. Right. Exactly. And then the other kind of happy cause. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then the other kind of rituals we can 
maybe um, kind of grab onto here besides for the big kind of once a year, you know, sort of anniversary orientated, you know, narrative orientated rituals we can think about are also those sort of daily rituals, you know. So, um, again, pre-COVID, we shake hands with people, you know. That's like a cultural ritual. We used to bow not that long ago, but now we shake hands. Um, we we do fist bumps. We do high fives and things like that. Um, it's like imbuing everyday things with uh, ritualistic importance. Right, exactly. So how do we take the handshake or the fist bump or whatever and turn it into something that, you know, um, becomes our, uh, becomes, you know, a, a, a message laced ritual experience, yeah. you know, create another story around it. Yeah. Right. Right. And honestly, I think Catholicism probably offers the best approach to that. Really, really. I mean, what do you say in Catholic church at a certain point in service when you shake their hand? That's true. Yeah. That's every time. Yeah. Peace be unto you and to you, you know, like, it's like a handshake and a look in the eye. <laughs> handshake and a look in the eye, and then you say, "Peace be unto you," and peace be unto and you as well. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I think there's something really beautiful about that. You know, definitely. So there might be something there too. Yeah, the other cool thing about this whole framework, uh, going back to like the idea of bringing science back into it. Yeah, I'm re- realizing that that diminishes. Uh, and this is a good thing, diminishes the idea of hierarchy. Yeah. Um, because in science, you have to prove it. Right. So if you're supposedly like, you know, the religious guru, you got to be able to back that up. Yeah. It's, it's not enough to have gone to whatever school or to have whatever title or to have the fancier robes or money or whatever. It's like, how are you really advancing to people? How are you really helping people to uh, know themselves and fulfill their purpose? Right. Can you actually deliver the goods right. in an demonstrable way? Right. Uh, really takes away the hierarchy or should. Right. Well, I mean, science, you know, if you look at sort of history, science has, has not completely taken out the force of will from, you know, the advancement of ideas. Um, a lot of times it's still the force of will that brings the advancement of ideas and not that, you know, those particular ideas proximity to the truth. You know what I mean? Like that's like, that's not necessarily how it happened. I mean, when you look at like how it usually happens, there's usually a quiet genius who really figures that shit out and someone who takes credit for it. You know what I mean? Like, but I think you can still say that that science has done a better job than religion and a better it. job in, in with the proper storytelling and uh, right. shift in priorities. Right. Kind of has- right. Because at least with science, you do still have to produce the numbers. You yeah. know, you have yeah, to. I have to be able to go in there, run those numbers, and get the same result. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas religion, you can just get away with anything just based off of force of personality, you know? Um, so yep. I think it would actually do religion a lot of good to be once again, reconnected to science. Like yeah. if you, if you've got a theological idea and you can't fucking make it fit in the scientific understanding of how the world came together, then, yeah, then it's fine for you, fuck. but you know, the rest of us are going to move on to something. Yeah. Else. Fuck the like, fuck it, off. <laughs> it's like, you know, I keep insisting because it's real to me, out of body experience, whatever you want to define that. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's all well and good, but. 
very few people can I teach to do that to. So well, probably not useful to the rest of humanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like for me and like three other people. And that's probably going to be like the extent of that. <laughs> exactly. And not everyone yeah. needs it. You know what I mean? Like, that's and, I, and that's fine. And it needs to be fine. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just like, we don't need to go to war over that. Like, no, we will all do out of body. <laughs> right. Or I'm going to, you know, drown this country in blood. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make any because that's how those things usually go. Yeah. You know, people really need to be like, no, this was my path. It worked for me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's my, my, one of my favorite examples of that is, uh, is speaking in tongues. You know, those like denominations yes. that have tongue speaking. And I love the idea. Like, I just think it's so funny of like sitting there looking around at everyone else speaking in tongues and kind of like knowing in your heart of hearts that it's all bullshit. But like feeling that social pressure that like this is what you have to do in order to be successful. So you're just like shrug your shoulders and start speaking in tongues. You know, what I mean? like, that's how you that's how you fucking get there. Um, but yeah, if you can't like if you can't show it, if you can't, you know, then it, it, it can't be something that you are forcing on other people like at all. Right. You know, um, and I would say like between me and you, like, I mean, I, I I've never done the like out of body experience stuff. I mean, I've. I'm a good meditator and I'm pretty spiritual mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, um, just as connected to the spiritual world as, as you are. Um, but, yeah. and I, and I would never, and like, you would never say that like, no, your spirituality is like more superior than mine because you can <laughs> leave your body and come help me find my socks in my apartment. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm saying that like, it doesn't make you superior at all. You know what I mean? It just, yeah, sorry for almost killing you just then, but, uh, (laughs) so, so that brings me to another question, which is, should, should this, should there be even a set theology? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I think so. There has to be the one, the one story, right? And um, one story, one God, does it have to be monotheistic? Can you be polytheistic? I'm, I'm trying to, I'm like, here's the, here's the part, the hard part for me. I do believe in God, whatever that means to whatever people listening. Yeah. Um, and what, and what I believe about it or him or she is going to be radically different than most. Yeah. But I'm, I say that to preface this next statement, which is, I think the religion needs to be godless. Huh. Like the divinity needs to be us humans, yeah. In order for us to move forward, yeah. Uh, with some kind of invisible God that only talks to certain people, and that's inevitably how it's going to shake down with that belief system. Then only yeah. certain people can tell you what His will is. Well, I mean, like for me, you know, and I've I've obviously shared this with you before, and I don't know if I've shared it in this space, but like for me, um, my God concept is that the entire universe is a living you know, uh, functioning brain, essentially, um, mm-hmm. that thinks, that knows itself, that engages in thought and wonder and everything else. And, and we're just a part of it. Like we're inside and we're a part of it. Like obviously the tiniest part of it that you can possibly even imagine or think about. Um, and, uh, in that sense, you know, it fits scientifically, right? The universe has hemispheres. It's in the same way that the brain is, you know, a collective of different parts that function together in a way and send and, and all have synapses with relationships to each other. And it's so sophisticated that eventually it realizes itself and comes into existence. The brain exists in the universe. 
So why can't it exist as the universe? Right? Like it's not, that's not a foreign thought to me. So in that sense, like how did God come to be? Well, the big bang. Um, what am I? I am stardust, which is also a part of God. And literally I am the part of, I am one of hopefully many, many parts of God that is inside of God, but also witnessing, interacting with, thinking about and trying to figure out the larger meaning and larger purpose. So like the scientists would say, you are the universe observing itself. And in this religion, we would say, fuck yeah, we are, you know, but maybe more specifically, like um, we're the part of God observing God's self. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So there's no God, the being essentially, and if there is, you can't reach it. Yeah. Like I'm not going to like, turn down and look at my leg and pick out one specific cell in my fucking skin on my leg and be like, how you doing there? What's your name? You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, it matters to me if you're going to still be on my skin. No, I'm going to keep brushing my skin off and those cells are going to flake off and fall to the floor dead, you know, by the millions every single time I do it. And I'm not going to mourn even one thought about them, you know, <laughs> um, they're just a part of me. Um, but, uh, but then they're going to circulate back into the universe and become another part of God and become something else. You know, I'm just sort of all a part of that. Um, and God doesn't have to know me specifically and I can't know all of God even at all, but I can certainly make choices within God's existence that <clears throat> impact what happens to God. So if I hurt another person, guess what I'm really doing? I'm really hurting God, which is what I, what I am. You know, I'm a part of God. So I'm like fucking hurting myself by hurting another person. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that then becomes the thing. So like, to me, I wouldn't want everyone to believe that. You know what I mean? Much as I'm sure I'm right. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't want, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. want anyone to believe it. But like at the same time, I would want everyone's belief to conclude with oneness and equality. And I think it, it needs to be oneness because without that, you just are going to fucking lose equality at some point. Yeah. So I feel like I agree with that. Um, so I feel like it's sort of like a short story, this religion. Yeah. Very few laws. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and a framework, essentially, more than anything else, of like how you go about achieving enlightenment, uh, yeah. both with yourself and for society. Yeah. Uh, along with, you know, recognizing, like in the beginning you were saying about uh, recognizing and honoring everyone's equal humanity. Right. And not infringing on people's humanity. And that's right. because humanity is is the divine itself. We are the things divine. Yeah. And this is a high crime to do anything against that divinity. Right. Right. And that would include against yourself, much less anybody else. Right. Right. And it's like, well, how do you get yourself to realize that? Well, we have, you know, these 10 or 20 different paths that other people have tried. One of them might work for you. And if not, then maybe you can invent one to help some other people. Yeah. But this we know to be the truth and it's your goal to realize it. And it's the law for you to act on it. Right. Essentially. Right. No, I think what I think what we want is we want a, a system culture in place, system of belief, system of laws and a culture in place that allows for humanity to continue to advance as quickly as possible on a kind of global scale. And then on an individual scale gives people as with our last conversation, the room to achieve their potential. 
right? right. And um, and then sort of best protects humanity for you know towards the future. Um, how much does religion? You know, so look, we we'd like to. I mean, I'd like to do away with all of world religions except for this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So obviously, you know, that's not going to happen, but, but that's my mindset is let's do away with everything that like separates people by identity and all that stuff. And this one, you know, this one, the idea is, is that it connects all the people. Um, so it's not exactly like any any egalitarian stance for me to sit here and say, all the other fucking religions need to go and let's just all do this one, <laughs> you know, so that's not like so liberal of me, but uh, at the same time, like, I do think that it's the case that all world's religions are bringing down or bringing down humanity and limiting us. Um, my yeah, question, even the ones that aren't bringing down, they are limiting. That, yeah. That's just, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, and I'm a lover of religions, great and small. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of them are gone or nearly gone and belong to indigenous peoples, for example. Yeah. I love the stories as well, but it's just the nature of religion. It's like, it's very limiting, you know? So then here's, here's the question that I was like trying to lead into there. Um, do you think that it's also a goal of this world religion to do away with all world cultures? Yes. <laughs> Which is a hard thing to say. It's way hard because to say. otherwise it'll never be safe. And it's way hard to say. Yeah. And I agree with you. Um, and it's, I think why this is, which is why this is a theoretical discussion. (laughs) Right. Right. And not something that like will ever be possible in our lifetimes. Um, Right. Because I'm not, I'm not prepared to, uh, you know, wage war over this. No. And it's also just not possible. You know, I'll debate people to their blue in the face, but you know, that's about the extent of it. Yeah. And we can't escape the fact that like these beliefs, that you and I are like sharing and that we agree on here, like come from our different cultures and our backgrounds that sort of come together. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I can be who I am because my culture and faith like informed me and even my beliefs that are anti-Jewish fucking come from Judaism. Yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, and I can't like, I can't escape the gravity of the culture that I'm coming from here for this. Um, So it's like, it's obviously impossible to imagine the world doing that if like, if we can't even really do that. Um, So, so our, our escape hatch out of that argument uh, of uh, collapsing all the other faiths is what we said earlier in different ways, which is that many paths to the single goal. Yeah. So it's almost like you can have your old time religion if (laughs) it brings you to this societal and personal goal. Right. And otherwise you're not being human essentially right. by our definition. Right. And, and ultimately the best way to collapse cultures and faiths is to combine them. Um, right. That's almost always the easiest way to do it. I mean, yeah. I mean, look at how I started with my religious story, right? I'm, I'm one person of two very different cultures and faiths. Um, and, but they don't live inside of me as two. They live inside of me as one single unified, just very unique version of, you know, the culture and faith that I practice. Does that make sense? Like, um, they're not separate inside of me. They're combined inside of me into one. So, you know, take my two and then let me meet like, you know, a beautiful African-American woman (laughs) (laughs) from her cultures and backgrounds. And then let's have kids together. And then now we've got a combined, you know, um, unfortunately racism makes every black person black. 
So we're going to have to like <laughs> do away with yeah, racism yeah. as well. Of course. Of course. But, uh, but anyway, um, but you know what I mean? Like, I really think and like combining them is probably the way to do away with them in a way. I mean, obviously yeah. you're, there's less control because who knows what it will become. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, if you take all the cultures together and merge them into one, what does that even look like, or how does that function? You know, yeah. It, the, the easiest way to make this happen in, like, say, like a five or ten year period is, as long as the, the he or she is unopposed, is just to have some billionaire take it over as a project. What do you Billionaires mean? are so much power that they use for nonsense, and this would be easily like you control the airwaves. <laughs> <laughs> you can oh. the financial futures of everyone. You can move governments to your will. You can make this become like a subliminal trend that that people start latching onto in, in different ways. It doesn't have yeah. to be like a heavy handed kind of thing. Yeah, no, this has happened already. It's happened yeah, already. It's called over and over. They just use it for nonsense. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's happened already. It's called televangelism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you wouldn't even have to do that extreme, like yeah, <laughs> it could get that extreme. But I, I really feel like it'd be like you know, you just subliminally take over the culture. Yep, there's a yeah. saying in in business where if you're uh, if you're if you're obtaining a product and the product is for free, guess who the product is? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why I, during you. this conversation, I'm thinking Facebook the whole goddamn time. <laughs> this is the religion of Facebook. <laughs> like, like if, yeah, if Zuckerberg. All of a sudden, thought this what we were talking about was a great idea. He can make it happen. Mm, not Without anymore. one drop of blood being spilled. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think he used to be able to. He used to be able to, but not anymore. Not anymore. He's lost. Uh, he's lost traction with the people. He's no yeah. longer. He's no longer the young guy with a disrupting the, idea. The, but the people. But the people have not lost traction with his products. No, that's true. That's true. Because like, <laughs> like, I don't have Facebook, but I still have Instagram, and guess what? That is, it's fucking yeah. Facebook. Yeah. yeah, and and he has the Oculus and anything else that he wants to have yeah. later on. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. No. If, if something else becomes popular, he'll have that too. And by rebelling against him, will actually be fulfilling whatever goals he wants because that's the major thing. Yeah, we need a Cyrus the Great. We need like um, a great benevolent leader with like big ideas and tons of money to do something like that, yeah. but. Even then, I mean, there's just no way, you know. You can't trust it, yeah. <laughs> you don't get to be a billionaire if you're coming from a truly altruistic culture and background. Um, exactly. that's just, it's just, you don't get to do that. Because yeah. anyone who's making that, yeah, anyone who's making that kind of money, um, first of all, has to be predatorial in order to make that kind of money. But also, um, that means they're keeping that, that amount of money. And if, yeah. if you're at all embarrassed to have that amount of money, which I would be, um, then, then you're looking to give as much of it away as possible. So you don't have to be seen with that amount of money. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, it's just not, I don't think it's really possible for someone in that station to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Otherwise they'd have done it already, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think a handful of billionaires can literally bring peace yeah. to the world. Like, <laughs> you know, whatever. If, who do? Uh, we've already been here and done this conversation yeah. a million times. Well, look, the folks, the folks who do have sway in that department are celebrities, to be honest. You know? Yeah, to an extent, yeah. Well, yeah, because everyone's measuring themselves based off of them, you know? Sure. So, you know, if, if suddenly there was a run of celebrities who were committing to, you know, interfaith, interracial relationships, 
And now people right. start valuing that and moving in that direction. But that's all we yeah. want to do now is have interfaith, interracial relationships, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, think about like, you know, the whole fear of missing out is turned to something positive. Yeah. So celebrities have a tool to really push the culture in a way today that I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't think they, they did before, Yeah. you know? Yep. So you don't necessarily need the billionaires because the billionaires aren't really known by people, but the ones who like move the culture, like, I don't know, that's where it could get really interesting. So yeah. If you really wanted to start a new faith, you got to start with the famous people, I would think. All right, so you just need some Instagram influencers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Essentially, it's funny, but essentially something like that. Yeah, there It'd are be, ways to start from the bottom up or from the middle out, I guess. I mean, when I was still a rabbi, I was coming up with a, uh, a new style of Jewish service that was basically dance prayer, where I put together like uh, an hour and a half you know, basically mix of dance songs that followed thematically the the prayer rubric of Jewish, you know, sort of prayer tradition and created a dance service off of that and was like developing the concept when I just said, fuck it and left the rabbit. In. Um, but if I was still doing that today, I'd be saying um, I'd be having like my teenage students coming up with like TikTok dances to express an, a Jewish idea. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what they're doing now. And the TikTok dances like actually mean something, you know, like different hand movements and hip movements and things like that, like communicating different things. So there's like a ton of, ton of different gateways to like, to get the pieces that are there, you know, um, sure. you know, I don't know how much like the WAP is spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> Some would find it very spiritual. Maybe the tango. I don't know. Maybe the tango. The tango yeah. is definitely spiritual. Definitely <laughs> spiritual. Um, all right. Well, I mean, this is two hours in. What? Where are we at now? What do you think? <laughs> I'm at the part where my computer's telling me you got about ten minutes, buddy. <laughs> also, twelve twenty-one by you. It's nine twenty-one yes. by me, so I'm thinking about your sleep schedule and all that shit too. Um, this feels like a good start. Like I feel like a little yeah, it's bit kind of all over the map. <laughs> it's a little disjuncted. It's a little disjuncted. Yeah. But it, I, it's something we might have to listen to it and see what jewels we can pull out of it, if any. Yeah, maybe this will be something you know we put up in its entirety. Maybe this is just like a first foray into whatever. Maybe there's some jewels here, or maybe like with the right intro, you know, we can kind of frame yeah. this initial conversation. Um, and then figure out kind of where we want to take this next. Cause I don't feel finished yet. You know, I do feel like we like did a very rudimentary, like this is like why this is a problem and this is like a way we could approach it. But like, I still, I don't think we're finished at all. You know? Yeah. It's like the philosopher's way of doing it. It's like, let's define the question. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we spent two hours defining the question. But yeah. That's the, that's an important thing to do. Otherwise you can't get the answer. Yeah. And you do have to like, the, I, I think there's a big value in the brain, in the freeform brainstorming kind of deal in the beginning um, to yeah. sort of like, you know, put, you know, to kind of like, jo you know, jostle the brain a little bit to like, see where the ideas are, and then maybe start putting it in order. You know what I mean? It's like, this is the part of the conversation where we like dump the puzzle pieces onto the table. Um, and then turn yeah, them all over. And it's like, all right, what are we fucking looking at here? You know? So, all right. So rock and roll. So maybe I'll, I'll download this and like, 
put it together and give it a crack and then send it to you and then let's kind of see what we can pull out of this and then maybe yeah, uh, just send it to send it to me raw I'll put it raw alright alright I'll send it to you raw alright alright until uh, until next time we'll continue the same conversation bad same bad channel and we'll keep this there.